guess that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and none could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, welcome everybody to episode number 128 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday, January the 29th, 2022. My name is Jeremy Lee. I do want to thank last Saturday's guest, Adam Gray, joined me for the PWCC premiere ending watch party. We did have to go on to the next day as well, so got to do back-to-backs. That was fun. Thanks, everybody, who did join tomorrow night on Collectible Live on the Collectible TV YouTube channel. My guest will be David Randall from Sports Investors Authenticators. Looking forward to that. Check that out on the Collectible TV YouTube channel tomorrow at 7 o'clock Eastern time. Next Saturday on Sports Cards Live, coming back will be Tim Getch, CEO of ComC, for an update. It's been a while since he's been on the show, so we will hear what is going on over there. I do want to thank channel supporter Whatnot. Whatnot has some of the best breakers and slab auctioneers in the hobby on their platform. Check it out. I will be back on that platform in the next week or two with another live auction starting at a dollar, one minute auctions. Looking forward to that. Check it out. Stay tuned. I will let everybody know about that. Shout out to the Sport Card Expo who will be having their first Edmonton show April 15th to 22nd of this year. And of course, the Mint Collective was postponed. We all know that now, March 25th to 27th in Las Vegas. Also looking forward to that. I want to thank all the subscribers and viewers. If you're not yet subscribed to the channel, please go ahead and give us a subscribe. Live interviews every Saturday night. Special shout out tonight, everybody, on a different sort of note, but I do want to make mention of this. Really good friend of the show, my friend Dave Slipka. want to shout out his family on the passing of his wife, Bev. Dave, this episode is dedicated to you the memory of Bev and your whole family. You've touched the heart of many, and my thoughts are with you, Dave. All right, as always, everybody, your your comments, your questions are in play. Let's get to it. Tonight's guest got her first taste of the hobby in the early 90s when her older brother and cousin wouldn't let her play with their cards. So her mother would send her to the corner store to pick up milk (coughs) and cigarettes. She'd spend time, she'd spent the change on 91 Fleer baseball cards. She She'd slowed down in college, and in 2005, her mother sent her all of her cards in suitcases, and she was back into the hobby with a vengeance. After stints with Beckett and Topps, she is now flexing her hobby pedigree at Golden. Her favorite teams are the New York Yankees, Rangers, Knicks, and Giants. Her favorite athletes are Derek Jeter, Andy Pettit, Mariano Rivera, John Starks, and Brian Leach. Originally from Yonkers, New York, currently hailing from East Chester, New York. Let's bring her out. Susan Lejudai, welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. You are welcome. It is great to have you. You've been on my list of people to have on the show for quite some time. We tried a while back. We couldn't make it work. But here we are tonight Seems like it's uh, it, like all the talk of the town right now is Tom Brady. Is he retired? Is he not retired? I don't know. I'm just listening to what everybody is saying. Do you have any idea? What have you been hearing? 
Um, I mean, I'm probably hearing the same thing you're hearing, but from, you know, having worked in the media business for sports media business for a very long time, my best guess is that he's retiring. Um, somebody leaked it. He didn't want this news to break this way. You know, he has a media company. He does his thing and he probably wanted to break the news himself. So, and also he didn't really probably talk to people yet and didn't want, it's like one of those things like, oh, I found out the news on Twitter. Like you never want to find out big news on Twitter. Especially if it's about you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, same here. I don't really know what's going on with this yet. I was just listening, listening in on the clubhouse room and they were going through and, and saying, okay, Let's have a vote here. Do you think he's going to retire or not retire? And, you know, everyone's just having fun just for discussion. But uh, it's interesting, all the all the speculation right now. And to me, though, as a hobbyist, you know, I'm a sports fan. I, I got nothing against Tom Brady. He's definitely a GOAT. He's worthy of our time and attention and the hobby's time and attention. But the thing for me is that, that, I, that the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, this is going to be the first case study in when a goat, a true goat, retires, and what will happen to the values of their sports cards in this new hobby era being, you know, really since the pandemic. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Oh, and it's not just in the next few days. I'm talking about the next couple of years. If he does truly retire, what's going to happen to his cards over the next couple of years? And will it be any different than in the past when we've seen prior goats, if you will, retire? So I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, to see what happens there. Any predictions from you or thoughts on that? You know, what's really exciting about this time is that, um, yes, like Tom Brady is going to retire. If it's not now, which it will be, it's it's sooner rather than later. But, you know, we saw last week and we have this like next generation of quarterbacks and quarterbacks are king. And, and when it especially comes to football cards that, you know, people are really excited about. You have Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen is getting up there. Um there's just this talent of this next generation. It almost was, it reminds me a little bit back of, um, I'm going to get the names wrong, but like Marino and Montana and like kind of followed by Aikman, you know, it's like, it, it kind of feels a little bit like that again. And it's really excited to see like, okay, Tom Brady, great. Thank you. And now he's passing the torch on to somebody else. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. You've got a, you've got uh, like a Roethlisberger as well, you know, Drew Brees, that, that sort of, they're, they're moving, yeah. They're moving along, right? And now handing off that baton. I hear you. That that makes a lot of sense. And it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And there's all sorts of speculation if, who knows, if he's even going to retire. But enough of that. I thought we just we'd, we'd uh, touch on it because it is pretty uh, in, interesting and and uh, and it does have an impact on, on the hobby for sure. Oh, and you know, now that I say that, I'm just thinking before we move on. You think about a company like Panini, and they have the football license currently, so. And you've worked for top, so you know how card companies work. But, you know, if he doesn't have, if he's not going to play next season and he's not going to be in those sets next season because he's no longer an active player unless they put him in some inserts with other retired players, is that going to hurt the products, the football products that Panini's going to put out? What, what's the what's, well, what's the impact of that? I don't know if that's how it works. I, If I recall correctly, um I mean, I have more experience in baseball because Topps lost the license like the year I the year I got there for for football. But the the license actually carries over to the next year. Um, so it's like if you retired if in baseball, like if you this was your last year, like twenty twenty one was your last year, you we, they could still make twenty twenty two cards of you. Um, so it, it carries over to the next season. 
Um, so that's, I mean, I feel like it's probably the case as well in football. So it's not next season that would be the issue, not 2022 cards, um, but potentially 2023 cards. But by then, like, you have enough time to sort of work out a deal. Yeah. <laughs> Jenny Miller says, is it a rookie? Not a rookie? Is he retiring? Not retiring? What's up with all these word speculations? Yeah. I, I hear you, Jenny Miller. Okay, before we get into you, Susan, let's go and just say hello. We got Julian Birds on the bat. What's going on? Jake Dolanhouse, WNBA is back with us. Good to see you. Rocco Rosato, good frosty evening to all. Let's sit back and hear what Suze says. Looking forward. Thank you, Rocco, as always. Jenny, good evening. Fowl Fireball, Bent Cardboard, good to see you. Welcome to the show. Chris C., hello. Says, have a question. Don't you think the new eBay authentication process will actually hurt them? Seems like a lot of hassle. It's on our list to talk to about tonight, Chris. I, I feel like enough uh, other content creators have, have addressed that, so we'll see if we get to it. But appreciate the, the, the comment. Kurt, good evening to you. Go Yankees. There you go, Suze. Fellow Yankees fan right there. Lucky K, good evening. Eric in the house. What's going on? Chris wants Brady to retire. Sorry, there it is. Chris wants Brady to retire. Retired to get out of Tampa and sign elsewhere, says Kraken Card. Skeppy, good evening to you. Chris says, time for Burrow, Mahomes, Allen, and the younger generation, right? I think that's what uh, what we were just saying. Makes a lot of sense there. Crack says, more market space for AEW cards to go up, up, and away. Too funny. Hey, those back pages in the house, what's going? Like when Jita retired. There you go. Cardboard culture in the house. Abdeel. We got a Jeter collector in the house. You are a Jeter collector. You are. You are. And we, I know that. We're going to get into it. We're going to get into it. Atlanta in the house. What's up, Jude? Welcome to the live show. Jenny Miller absolutely will not hurt product people chasing burrows. Not as much. Hey, good point. Good point right there. Brendan Ryan, welcome. Collector 5, Collector Fix Live. Hello, hello. Rich Klein in the house. Rich, how are you? Says, Suze is great. And good Lord, Jeremy, nailing the pronunciation of her last name. Bonus points right there. I cheated. I asked her. I said, how? Michael Spiegel, good evening. Darren in the house, what's up, what's up? Suze is the bomb, a great follow. Yeah, we'll get into that too. Victor, always good to see you. And someone watching on Facebook, Suze is top notch, hobby savvy as they come. That's why we have her on the show. Maybe it was my mom, but I don't think she has Facebook. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's someone, that, that's someone watching us on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe your mom, I got it, I got it. Okay, Suze. We were chatting and the, we, we were getting going through your hobby history, your origin story, which as is customary, you know, part of what I like to do is introduce the guests to the audience and let them get to know you a little bit uh, personally. And what I found really interesting and, and funny and, and reminiscent of the old days was that you've been you've been collecting cards a long time, but you've been on eBay since the days of no PayPal, writing a check, mailing that check to the seller or waiting for them to get it, waiting for the check to clear, you know, talk a bit about, you know, start with that as a launch point, really talk a bit about your hobby history and, uh, and what you've sort of seen change over the years. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of people, you know, I started collecting cards as a kid, you know, I just was opening packs to find Yankee cards, didn't want anybody else. Um, and then as you know, time went on, you know, it was, I'm just trying, like, trying to put the timeline together. So I got my first job at 
16, 17, like the summer of 16 turning to 17. And I thought it was a really great idea to take that money and buy baseball cards. Like that's what I did with my money. So sure enough, I'm going on eBay and now I'm going to date myself. What 1996 this was 96 going into 97. Um, or is 1997 rather, and who just won the World Series and who was the big rookie? Well, it was Derek Jeter. So I'm over here writing checks out to the sellers of buying lots of Jeter cards. Like I was, I loved buying not just one card, but I loved buying like, oh, this one's selling 15 cards. This one's selling 20 cards. This one's all fit. I loved just like lots of cards. So I would buy those of Jeter and, you know, you like, and people like, I bought it like today, like people like I paid yesterday. Where's my card? And I'm like, back then you were writing checks and I needed it to clear. And then it would have to get sent to you. You were waiting like two, three weeks to get your cards. Um, but, you know, that was, you know, like I said, I was 17 years old at the time. And that's what I was doing with my money. And my mom didn't necessarily agree. But what was she going to do at that point? Um yeah. And then it just, it never really kind of stopped from there. And then, you, you know, you jokingly talk about PayPal and like when PayPal actually came about, it was actually like a money market account. And it wasn't even just, you know, a place like to send money and stuff like you could take your money and keep it there. And it actually like accrued interest on it. Um, again, this was a long time ago. It's not that anymore. And then, um, yeah. And then around 2007, I, um, you know, I, I, I was a writer, I was a sports writer at the time. And I thought like, man, I really love writing and I really love cards. How can I marry the two of these? So my friend Marie and I, we created a blog, a cardboard problem. And that was in 2007. And everything exploded from there. So how did you, how did you go from writing a blog in 2007 to working at, at Beckett. I mean, you know, for me growing up, well, growing up in the eighties, buying, buying Beckett magazines when they first started coming out, it was like, you, we didn't, we didn't realize what Beckett was, you know, it was a magazine that came to the store every month. You bought it. We sold them in my shop in the early nineties, but I never really thought about like, what, what's the company behind this? Who are the people behind it? And so for, Someone else like yourself, who at the time had no connections to the people in the hobby, to the industry itself. How did you go about from right? How did you go from writing a blog to working at Beckett? How did that yeah. happen for you? You know, honestly, creating that blog changed my life. Like that's not even an exaggeration when I say that. Um, I created this blog and at the time 2007 was like, you know, blogs really started picking up in the hobby and, you know, there's blogs here and blogs there. Um, what made our blog different was that here were two women collecting cards and we were card collectors and people were like, Oh, cool. Chicks. Like, like that was really the reaction, but you know, it became more than that because like, I was a writer or I am, I'm still a writer, you know, and Chris Olds from Beckett was like, Hey, listen, you have hobby knowledge. You have, you're a writer. Would you like to do freelance work for Beckett? Absolutely. I would love nothing more. Same thing. I would read the, I would read the magazines when I was a kid. I remember going to Barnes and Noble and if my parents wouldn't buy for me flipping through, like reading through, well, I can and like in the middle of the aisle. So it, I forget which, it was Baltimore, the national at Baltimore, the first one, I want to say 2010, I might get the year wrong, but it might be 2010. And I worked that entire weekend for Beckett writing different articles for them. 
And then it was sort of like a trial and it went really well. And then I did freelance for them for two years. And for then a job opened up, Tracy Hackler. Well, he was there at the beginning. I think he left and somebody else took over. And then there was an open position for their Beckett football, hockey and basketball editor. And I got the job. And then I worked there for two years. And then I moved on to tops from there. Like it literally changed my life without that blog. Like I don't write for Beckett. I don't write for Beckett. I'm probably not working at tops. I don't work at tops. I'm probably not on your show right now. You know, like there was, it it literally changed the course of my life with that, with that blog. I think it's so cool. I think it's so cool how starting that passion project changed, changes your life. You know, even for myself, I started sports cards live almost two years ago and my life has changed because of it. You know, just the people, the friends I've made and all that, the, those intangible benefits are just uh, so, so great, but you've turned it into a career and not just a like a, an industry sort of thing for yourself. You're, you've moved through and we're going to get into a bit more detail and all that, but you, you know, you touched on the fact that, that you and your friends started, you were, you were women in the hobby. Let's, let's focus on that for, for a few minutes in terms of being a woman in the hobby you know, and Skeppy says right here, obviously the hobby is male heavy. How often do you feel like your knowledge of the hobby is questioned and how do you interact back with people that act this way? I think it's a great question. Why don't you address that? Yeah. Um, less now than before, you know, like at this point, like like lots of people know who I am. Um, if you find me on social media, like it's qu- it's, it's easy to realize very quickly that like I have hobby knowledge, but like it does happen, right? Um, when I was working at Beckett, I remember I had called somebody for an article and it was somebody who had been in the hobby a very long time. And I called them up and I'm like, hey, blah, 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 whatever. I want to talk to you about this. And I asked like my first question. And before I'm even done, he, he stops. He's like, do you even collect cards? And I'm like, yes. Would you ask that question if a guy was calling you or is it just for me? And he's like, oh, sorry. And then like went on with the rest of it. Like I'm snarky. Like I don't care. I got to the point in my life, like I'm too old for this kind of crap. Like don't question, don't question me, you know? Um, and we would joke, like my friend and I would joke, we would go to shows and like people would be like, would have a Chrome card. Right. And they'd be like, oh, this one is shiny. And you're like, really it's shiny oh wow they're like it's special because it's shiny um there was another show is that where somebody was like same thing he was like talking down to me and trying to explain the card to me and i was just like okay that's great and i walked away and my husband's like she made that card it's like it's 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 just it's like that kind of stuff i don't have time for it i will either be like snarky back to that person or i just like you know what i don't have time for you like if this is like this is the lens you're gonna live your life in i don't have time to like clean it for you do you think that because like how is your experience different than that of other women in the hobby um over the last few years yeah i mean i see it a lot because like it's one of those things where you know somebody i don't know if you've seen this but as a woman i've seen this where it's like i'll be like oh yeah i'm a yankees fan and a guy will need to be like oh yeah well name me the entire 1952 you know it's like it's one of those things like they have to ask you questions to make sure like you've earned your badge and I've seen that a lot in the hobby. So it's like, okay, I collect cards. And it's like, well, then they want to quiz you on things. And it's like, no, like, I just collect cards. Like, I don't need you to quiz me. Even if I want to collect the card because it is shiny, that makes me as much of a card collector as anybody else. I don't get that as much anymore, like I said, but I still see that with other women in the hobby. It's almost like a woman will show up and they still have to prove themselves that they're a card collector and like, 
they're not just here because like, oh, now it's the next fun thing to do. And it's like, guys don't take them as seriously. And the, and the thing is too, it's like, you see more women, not just collectors, but also working in this industry. And the same thing like happens where they're like, oh, is your husband around? And you're like, no, it's me. I'm like, I'm the store owner. Like you can talk to me, you know, it's that kind of stuff. Um, it's, I see it a lot. You know, I talk to a lot of women in this hobby and it's still happening and it still happens. And it's, it's frustrating just because like, it shouldn't be that way, you know, like, like people should be much, much more accepting. And it's just frustrating when I see that happening to other women. So as a thing, what I do, um, whenever I see a, a female collector, like on Twitter or social media, it's an instant follow. I don't even scroll through their timeline to be like, oh, what do they collect? What kind of interesting stuff do they post? I was like, nope, follow, immediate follow. I will support and like push ev any woman, any female collector that I see in this hobby. Tell me a bit about when we talk about supporting, I think that's that's excellent. I think it's just awesome. And uh, there is a Women in the Hobby Facebook group that I believe you're a founder of. So how's, how is that going and how big is it now? I have had women on before who've been a part of it. So they've let us know back in the past, but that's already months ago. So how many, how many women would you say are in that group now? Are there any, this is, might be a silly question, but I'm going to ask it. Are there any men at all in that group? And, uh, and yeah, like how, what's the general sort of vibe of the women in the group Facebook group these days? Yeah, I feel like Married with Children, where like Al Bundy had like his no women's group. Nope, no men allowed in our group. That's it. Yeah. Um, it's about 250 women right now. Um, it is on Facebook. So I do think at times it might limit it because like a lot of younger people joining the hobby generally aren't like as active on Facebook as they may be on other social media channels. Um, but it's really great. Like you have people coming in just showing off their collection. You have people asking questions. That's the thing too. It's like it's really hard for newcomers. And I feel like especially women who want to ask questions but don't know where to go because they don't want to be ridiculed for what maybe other people think are silly questions but like people entering this hobby it's really difficult there's so much to learn and there's such an educational like aspect to it um that like they need a place to ask and like this group is like there's no there's no dumb questions like we could because we literally all had those questions at some point during our hobby like journey um just because mine was like 20 years ago doesn't make it any different because yours is yesterday. Yeah. Well, well said. Well said. Let's say good evening to Mark Hoyle. Welcome to the show. Sam Genova. Welcome to the show, my friend. And uh, Rich says it was 2010 in Baltimore. So good, good memory there. Good memory there. And Darren says, Suze was writing checks in the same era that Jeremy got that giant calculator, which happens to be sitting right next to me as we speak. Darren, thanks for calling me out. Yet again, on my giant calculator, I love it. Bob says, awesome how one decision can change the course of a life, right? I mean, that totally, totally. Chris says, wish I'd known then what I know now. Don't we all? Don't we all? And Scott Green, welcome, says, Suze, I would love it if Card Chat became a weekly show on YouTube like this on top of Twitter. That's an interesting comment. I mean, um, let's let's... Let's break from the agenda and talk about this right now. Uh, you know, Susan and I had had some conversation earlier, and Susan and I are both, well, were uh, both co-hosts on Hobby Hotline, which is a Saturday morning uh, and Tuesday night now call-in show on YouTube. And um, I have recently resigned from Hobby Hotline. If anybody watches it and you're wondering why you're not going to see me on it anymore, I, I resigned from Hobby Hotline this past week. So 
I'm, uh, I won't be appearing anymore on that show. But Suze is still a co-host of Hobby Hotline. And I said to her, I said, so, you know, you why don't you have a YouTube channel? You're you're doing Hobby Hotline now. So, so Suze, what, what do you think? You want to la- launch Card Chat on YouTube or where are you at right now? So technically, technically, there is a Card Chat channel on YouTube that exists. I created it probably like a year ago, um, pretending like I would do this like i've been thinking about creating a youtube channel not just creating it but posting videos to it because the creation part got done um over a year ago and i come up it's one of these things where i managed to come up with excuse after excuse as to why i haven't done these videos yet um it's something i want to do um i don't have and now my latest excuse is i don't have the space this is my studio like my bedroom <laughs> so, it's, so it, it's um i don't know what it exactly is i don't know if it's nerves or it's just you know putting more on my plate because i just have so much going on right now or what it is but i keep making excuses as to why i do not do it so card chat and, and everybody you'll see it in the on the ticker right now card chat is two things actually it's the name of of susan's um newsletter which she emails out just about weekly i've been getting it for a while and it's all and the nice thing about it is that it, it, it's nice and succinct you know it's not super long you can literally read the whole thing in like less than 10 minutes i'd say right yeah it's and it's just like quick and to the point it, it's a great weekly hobby read but it's also something that you do on twitter on wednesdays i believe and mm-hmm. card chat is really it's a hashtag that you use but why don't you explain to everybody kind of what it is? And uh, and then again, everybody, you can follow Susan on both Twitter and Instagram at Yanks Chick. But uh, yeah, what, what's what is what is your uh, sort of mission with Card Chat on Twitter? Yeah, you know, that actually started when I was when I was working at Beckett. Um, you know, we were looking for different ways to engage sort of the hobby. Um, and I opted to try to do it on Twitter because uh, as somebody who's a writer, I like words and Twitter is words you know it's like it's all about you know the words on the tweets especially back then it wasn't as imagery heavy as then um so it was just it's and it's and it hasn't really changed much it's actually still the same as what it was so um the only thing that changed was the day it used to be a monday now it's on wednesdays um so wednesday at eight o'clock p.m eastern um i start a series of six questions every 10 minutes i'll ask so for the entire hour i will ask a question that is related to a topic Um, so recently I did like nineties inserts, right. And every question was related to something about nineties inserts. Like what was your favorite, what was your favorite insert? Like why was the nineties inserts the best inserts ever created, you know? Um, or it could be about redemptions or it could be about, you know, fanatics acquiring tops, or it could be about exclusive licenses. You know, it's, it's a different topic. Um, I try to make it timely so that if news does break, you know, leading up to the card chat um you know get the hobbies input and get people's input on twitter what it's about uh but sometimes it's about a generic topic um it doesn't necessarily need to be related to the news okay so there you go i do i do check it out i've i've, I've uh sort of replied a few times when i've had something uh what I, that i felt was worthy to say but it's fun and uh and it would be interesting to see how it would sort of translate to a live uh or, or not, or a pre-recorded even YouTube show, but no pressure on you for that. You'll you'll get there when you're ready. Daniel Busby says, uh, 73 people in the chat. We should have 73 likes. We're we're over that now. But thank you, Daniel Busby. If you are if you are new to Sports Cards Live, if you're here to see Suze, I appreciate that. Thank you for coming and 
And I appreciate you, Suze, uh, publicizing that you're coming on, bringing more people, exposing to sports cards live. Appreciate that. If you are new and you like live action type interviews every Saturday, please subscribe to the channel. We do this every Saturday night. So again, thank you, Suze. I do appreciate that. Um, Jude makes an interesting comment. In 40 years of collecting, I've come across a woman collector once. And I mean, I don't know where, where Jude lives, but that's a, an interesting sort of comment. Albert Jones, hello to you. And let's see what Rich says. He says, what Suze has done has made it so much easier for people like Sam Shuford, who rocks in her women of the hobby, webcasts and Instagram, et cetera, to be a successful woman in the hobby. That, that's got to be true, right? I mean, that you know, you have sort of blazed, you're a trailblazer, Suze. You blazed a path for other women. And uh, even at the National this past year, I mean, there were more women there than ever. I, there were pictures of women having a, a woman-only sort of get-together, a networking event, which was awesome. And there were tons of, were you there? Were you in those pictures? You probably were, right? I was not at the show. I was invited, but I ended up having to do like a work thing that night, so I couldn't get to go. But, it, but you know, like, it, it's just awesome that that that, that was going on. So, um, yeah, I think you've been I think you've been a big part of that. And, uh, you know, it, it's always nice when someone has sort of blazed the path before you that you can you can lean on them as well. Rich says that your husband is a talented writer as well. That's interesting. Does he collect cards, too? Yeah, yeah, he's a card collector. We uh, met each other. He's actually in the chat. He said hello in there. Uh, he, uh, oh, is he, what, what was yeah. his name? I... Dan Good. He's in there. Um, okay. he, um, so we used to work with each other at the press of Atlantic city. That's where I was a sports writer for a long time. And he was a reporter and, and news and, um, you know, he, he I, my, like me being a collector and doing what I do, everybody knows, like it was never a secret. I wasn't one of those people that would hide it. So like when I worked was freelancing at Beckett, I was working at the press of Atlantic city and everybody knew, everybody knew I was the card collector. So after a meeting one day, you know, he came up to me and he was like, Hey, you know, I opened this box of uh, Tops Update and we started talking cards and that's how that was his opening line. And that was it. That's how it started. Maybe the only time in history that's that a man could say, hey, I opened a box of Tops Update and that was the opening line to, to a romantic relationship. Good on you, Dan Good, who lets us know that Al Bundy's group was called No Ma'am. <laughs> too good. Too good. Welcome to the show, Dan. Nice to have you watching. Is he, he's just what, in the next room or is he just behind he's you? in the living room, yeah. He's, he's <laughs> too good. Too, and, and, and your son, your son's into Pokemon, is that right? Yeah, he is. He's five and um, he loves Pokemon. I did not expect like him to love it as much as he does, but man, he, he gets such a joy out of ripping cards and like opening packs. He actually, so here's the funny thing. So he watches a lot of YouTube videos of people opening Pokemon cards, right? Um, we have actually created our own videos. Like he wants to do this. So like we create our own videos. So I actually have a bunch of videos that we have done that will never be on YouTube because he's five years old. But the, it's so funny because like he loves it. So it's like, I wonder how he would feel if, like, mommy was opening cards on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty, yeah. You're saying because he's five years old, yet yeah, my daughter's almost five years old, and she watches young, some of these young kids with YouTube stations have, like, you know, th their videos get 20 million views. It's absolutely crazy. Okay, Kevin Jones, hello to you. Um, and I wanted to bring this one up. Skeppy says, what is the unbiased Yankees Mount Rushmore? No pressure, but don't mess this up. What do you Ooh. take this card? It's a great question. Um, okay. 
thinking about it. Well, Babe Ruth, obviously. Mickey Mantle. Joe DiMaggio. And I'm sorry for everybody else, but I'm going to go with my Derek Jeter. I can't. I can't not. Sorry. That's it. That's I figured, my four. I figured you were, I, I, I had those. Those are the four that I was guessing you were going to go with. I'll I'll, uh, I'll back you on that. I think I think it's pretty uh, it's it's a pretty good lineup right there. Todd says my wife is always telling me to display my collection somehow and share it with others instead of it sitting in binders. Suze, what do you think? Um, you know, years ago, um, I took all my cards out of binders. I do not use binders anymore. Um, and while I definitely use boxes, it's a lot easier to one, it's easier for me because as if I'm sorting my cards, you know, I don't have to worry about, I like to keep them in a certain order. So if I'm sorting my cards, I don't have to worry about like pulling it out, putting it in, pulling it out, put it in and potentially damaging, damaging the cards. So I prefer keeping them in like penny sleeves, top loaders and putting them in boxes personally. Yeah. I, and I, I agree. I mean, these are, we can, we can stick them in boxes and lock them away in dark closets and elsewhere, but it's not as much fun. So my one thing is, you know, I'll put some cards on display, but only if only cards without autographs that aren't going to get, or, and that don't have really light backgrounds. Cause I've purchased cards before that have a white border and even some white background and they've been sitting out in the sun and they come in with a tinge of yellow. I, I never, uh, never appreciate that. So yeah. Be careful with the ones you do put out. And if there is sunlight, that's, I just think that's uh, sort of like good advice. Uh, Jenny Miller says, I appreciate the Sue's share this. I didn't know you do the show, but I hit subscribe and it'll be my new Saturday night live. Thank you, Jenny. And welcome. Welcome to sports cards live. Much appreciated. Kevin Jones says the ladies have always been the backbone of the hobby. So it's an interesting comment. And maybe because a lot of them maybe, and I don't know if this is what he means, but a lot of the men have, you know, spouses, girlfriends partners what have you so maybe that's what he means but a nice comment nonetheless triple v says card collecting was initially trade slash story heavy when i started back in the day the inclusiveness and connectivity is what i enjoy most about our hobby yeah i was gonna ask you earlier Suze. this is a good time just based on triple v's question here which is what do you love about cards simple as that what do you love about cards um i love the connections like like honestly like that's what it's like my husband collects cards, you know, when we get to talk about cards and like have discussions and share and like have fun with the polls and my best friend collects cards and we get to have this connection. It's like, there are people I never would have met in this world if it wasn't for cards. And I am eternally grateful for that because yes, I knew my husband, but would we have bonded over tops update I, you know i don't know my best friend like her and i we've been friends same thing we've been friends since 2005 you know it's like we we and we connected yes she like we connect she's a yankees fan but it's not just wasn't just that it's like i know lots of yankee fans but like she's a card collector now with my son too like we have this really great fun like opening pokemon cards so you know i can see a car sometimes and be like you know take me back and be like oh i remember when i got this card or i remember what this meant for me you know it's about i feel like for me it's about the connections that you make through collecting yeah the, i say it all the time the community the, the relationships it's really enhanced my life uh you know in an immeasurable sort of sort of way um speaking of pokemon you open these cards with your son do you have any interest in the content in the subject matter of Pokemon yourself? 
No, I, I played Pokemon when I was younger and not a kid because it came out. I wasn't a kid when it came out. So, um, but I had the Game Boy and I remember playing like the blue game or whatever it was. Like I would play it on, on Game Boy. I like, I love Jigglypuff. I don't know. I just think it was a cute name. So I love Jigglypuff back then. So, you know, it wasn't that I was opening these Pokemon packs and I didn't have any sort of idea of what I was opening. I mean, don't get me wrong. There was a huge learning curve there as well. It's not as extensive as sports cards. Um, but even now, like a new game came out today for Pokemon on the Switch, and I was I played it for several hours today, and I, it was a lot of fun. My son had no interest in the game whatsoever, and I'm like, I'm over here playing Pokemon. You want to play? And he was like, Nope, I do not. <laughs> I was like, All right, I'm gonna play by myself. <laughs> so you do. So you do have a pre, which must make it easier for you to bond with him when he's opening up those packs, and you actually recognize who all these characters are. So that's pretty cool. Uh, PSA 10 says, what percent of women in the group, I think the Facebook group, have husbands or boyfriends who couldn't care less about cards? You got, I, mean, I have to think within the group, you ladies must have had this discussion at some point in time, like of all of you here that are, that are, that, that are in a relationship, does your spouse or partner care about cards? Uh, what's your gut feel on that as even just to answer the question as a percentage? You know, it's funny. I don't, we've never talked about that. <laughs> like, we, talk, we talk about cars and we talk, we talk about, you know, like, um, but I, I, I think a good, there's a good portion that probably do um, collect because I think a lot of them um, came into the hobby through their spouses or partners, you know, because they collect, that's not all of them. I don't want to like, I'm not painting a broad brush here, but there's a lot of them that, you know, would see like their partner collecting and it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. And like, you know, kind of, you know, same thing. Like they look for a connection, a way to enjoy their hobby with each other. So it's like, you know, and then, and then, and then they liked it, you know, and then kind of went on with it. But it's again, not everybody. Um, but I think there's a good, a good number of them. Yeah. Okay. Good. That makes sense. Uh, Eric says, I love seeing women at card shows now, now that are not just there to keep their boyfriend's company. Also, been seeing them on the other side of the table too and that's been yeah that's true there's you know uh black jaded wolf is i've had her on uh, on a collectible show before and uh, you know she's a prominent dealer in the hobby so i agree it, it is great to see it i love it you know going back years when i'd be set up at the expo in toronto for example you know a couple would come up to my booth it was obvious that the man was the collector and the woman was kind of hanging out with him but I, I, I'd look at him and I'd say, ah, she dragged you to the card show again. Hey, and, you know, I'd break the ice. They'd laugh. Yeah. It was it it was fun. And uh, just, a, just a good way to because I, I feel like oftentimes now this is for women who aren't collectors. When they come to card shows, they're kind of there really just to pass the time for them. Not all of them, but you can tell some are just there waiting to leave. Some are actually interested in what's going on, even though they're not collectors. But I always use that line with a woman who kind of looks like she might not be having the best time. And then right away you get a smile and I think it does sort of brighten their day. So I encourage other people who are set up at card shows to be nice to the women who are there sort of tagging along with their with their man if they're not collectors themselves. And Dan Good, you are welcome for the shout out. Uh, glad to have you uh, joining and glad to have your wife uh, right over there with me. This is awesome. Uh, Rich Klein says, tell the audience how your son ordered cards for you on eBay. <laughs> be careful. Card porn might yeah. uh, have to do an, an article on that. I know. I tagged him too. I was like, this happens in real life. I was like, don't put it's not, a, it's not a joke. Like, this is a real thing <laughs> that happened. <laughs> we were 
my husband Dan, he had put he was like looking at cards on his computer and he pulled up, you know, a tab on eBay and was looking at something and then walked away. And him and I were like standing probably like 15, not even, I don't know, 15 feet away. And we were talking. We're like in the other room talking. And I hear my my son go, Your 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 order is in. And I was like, What did you just order? I was like, what did you just order? Because I guess what? I bought Pokemon cards with him showing him on my phone or like on my computer. And I'm like, oh, here we go. There you go. And it gets at the top, you know, it says your order is in. And he'd always say, your order is in. So we hear your order is in. I was like, what was that? He's like, I ordered a card. And we're like, what? And we go and sure enough, it was, thankfully it was only an $8 Mitch Moreland autograph, autograph card. So we did not renege and say like, Oh, my son bought this, but he goes, he sits on the couch and he looks at my husband and he goes, I ordered you a card, daddy. Say, thank you. (laughs) Like Like, poor guy, I'm hysterical laughing. And I'm like, he's never going to learn a lesson out of this because he thinks mommy finds this hilarious. So lesson is buy more cards from mommy and daddy. Yeah. We have been, since we have been much more careful not leaving our screens open where he can just buy a card. So it does happen then. It really does happen. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Brian Basketballs. Uh, I, sorry, I'm late. What did I miss in 30 seconds? You know, you can go back and rewind this, Brian, but great <laughs> to have you as always. Fowl Fieball says, I agree. Binders suck. And then DJ Lazy Jeff, interesting. I like binders. I display them on a bookshelf like books and I can flip through them and look at all my cards without damaging them. So that's a great sort of approach too. And, you know, I have some binders too, exactly for what DJ Lazy Jeff is saying, pulling out cards and looking through them. But they're not, they're usually sets or or a, a player collection of, of, of cards that aren't worth a ton of money or a lot of money, whatever that is. But most cards for me are in top loaders and in a box. And then I'll pull out the box, one box every so often and flip through it. So the binders, I don't think we're saying binders aren't good. It just depends what sort of cards you have. Like if you have complete sets of four, five, six hundred cards, binders is really the best place for them if you want to be able to look at them. Right. So that makes a lot of sense, of course. Brian Basketballs, I'm displaying my Griffey Jr. and Frank Thomas cards that are R&N China, a.k.a. Glass. I'm not sure. Okay. Sorry. Can't read that one. So I actually, I I kind of know what he's talking about. So recently um, within the last several months, I bought a Jeter card that was from RNA China and mine, this one was actually a metal card. So I've been trying to find out like more information about these cards because it was, I think it came out in 1996, but it's from his 1993 tops like design. Um, so Brian, if you have more info, please let me know and hit me up because I'm always, I'm trying to find more information about this card. There you go. I'm glad you know it where they were. I, I wasn't sure. Thank you, Brian. Basketballs and uh, oh, Facebook. You, I'm guessing this is probably Rich Barone from snowy Long Island. Rich, if that's you, my guy, welcome to the show. He says, I have a lady at the expo who drags her husband. Okay, that, that makes sense. Oh, I, he's comes to see him at the expo. That's good. That's good. Jake says, my ex-girlfriend hated that I collected and her mom thought it was a waste of time to collect cards. I think I think we've all, right, Suze? We've all gone through a bit of that. What is your, fa- what is your extended, not your husband and kid, but your, your, your extended family, your parents, siblings, and close friends that you grew up with? What do they think about your involvement in the hobby and your collecting? You know, everybody knew I collect. I told you, I was like one of those things where people were like, "What do you?" I'm like, "I collect cards. That's what I do." Everybody knew I collected cards, and I think because I'm a woman, it was sort of a novelty, and nobody kind of like 
was like, that's silly. That's a waste of time. I think people appreciated it about because, you know, what would happen is I would get people who then would like text me and be like, hey, I have these old cards. What are they worth? I'm like, absolutely nothing. But thank you for asking me. Um, it, it, that would happen a lot. And I think I became for my friends and like family and people, I became that like the go to person to be like, hey, I have this card. Is it worth anything? Um, so I think people appreciated that. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. Jenny Miller says, I think a good portion of the hobby, find it as a relaxing, get out of your head while sorting, etc. type of hobby. I know for me, I found the hobby as an anxiety medication, like bingo, right? That's what it is. That's that's what it is for me. And I say it often, like the, I say, even in the intro song says, sports cards is a lifestyle. It's more than a lifestyle for me. It's, it's like, it's like my life. I have a career. I, I have my family and I love, I love, like it's all good. My life is great. Family career. Great. But the hobby is like that one thing that's always present and has been for, for decades. So, and it's because it allows us to, just like Jenny says, get out of our heads, sort of wind down, ground yourself perhaps. And kind of like, you know, as bad as, you know, we all go through bad times in life. Right. And, and sad times. And uh, for me, I've all, you know, it's like, you can always lean on a good friend, you can also always lean on your collection to, uh, you know, just to take your mind away from things. So it's a, it's a, it's a nice thing. Here's a great question from, uh, from Waxel for you, Suze. As a writer, what are your thoughts on card backs? I remember combing over the stats and snippets about a player as a kid. Now it's just congratulations and a whole lot of white space. And before you answer, I have to agree with Waxel. I, I had on the show, um, Jason Moshera from Upper Deck, the president of Upper Deck was on a few months ago. And I said to him, can we just get rid of congratulations? Like we paid for these things. You don't need to congratulate us. We know we're going to get a jersey card. We know we're going to get an auto. But I'll turn it over to you. Number one, thoughts on congratulations and then thoughts on Waxel's questions as far as the importance of card backs. Okay, I'm going to answer this from a not a collector standpoint. I'm going to answer it from somebody who worked at a card company standpoint. Um, card backs, writing a different back for every single card costs money. Every, so at tops, they, I don't know what they do now, but at the time they paid a freelancer to write these card backs. So every little paragraph that was different on all the backs costs X amount of money. So if you needed in every card set has a budget. So let's say your budget is $50,000. It is not $50,000, but that's just an easy number is $50,000. And I have to put some of that budget to the side for the card backs. That's less money that I can put towards autographs or relic cards. So what is, as a company, what is going to give me the sort of most value in a product? It's not a paragraph on the back of a card. It's putting more autographs into a product. It's putting a better relic card into a product. Into a product. So when you have the congratulations on the back of, on the text on the backs of the cards, it's essentially a boilerplate. Nobody needs to write that. I can write that. I can write, congratulations, you pulled an autograph card of Derek Jeter from 2015 tops, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, and that gets automatically changed, you know, depending on who the player is. And that's something that could be automated on the back end of the system. Um, and that doesn't cost me as much money as it does to pay the freelancer to write the card back. So that's how I'm going to answer that question. Whether or not I agree with it, kind of sort of neither here nor there. It is why it happens the way it is. I understand it. I get it. And now if you're asking me, would I rather have like three sentences on the back of a card 
or would I rather have more autographs in a product? I'd probably go with the more autographs in a product. And, you know, the thing that comes to mind for me is that, you know, you, you go back in through vintage cards, the backs are super interesting and fun. You got cartoons, you've got the little, just the little snippets about what the, what those players, what their summer jobs were, that sort of thing, or, or winter job, whatever. Um, but back in those days, there were very few places that you could find information about players. Now, it's a, you know, now you type in their name, you go to their Wikipedia page, everything you ever needed to know about that player is there. So there's less of a reliance or a need for that information to be on the back of a, of a sports card. So going boiler, I think, you know, with that explanation and what I've just said, going boilerplate on the reverse of a card, it's still nice to have something on there. Like, you know, even, even the, the prior year stats is at least something on there besides just the boilerplate because you are likely going to turn that card around every so often you want there to be something on it so um but from what you said it does it does make a lot of sense especially if it's going to help uh, sort of buff up the rest of the of the product itself too because there's more budget available for content yeah okay uh, i want to bring up brian's comment here my wife and i collected while dating instead of spending money on movies and drinking we are now we are now blessed 27 years later so that collection did well. And uh, that's right. Any, any money that you didn't spend um, drinking and partying, you know, in your teens and 20s, I, I got to think is, uh, and you put that into sports cards instead, it was, it was a great, a great investment. Uh, Julian says, Suze, what is it like being hobby famous? 12,000 followers on Twitter is no joke. How do you respond to that? When, when I started the blog, me and my friend Marie started our blog years ago. Um, we were at the 2010 Baltimore um, convention and we had like no less than 10 people come up to us and you know, they'd be like hey are you Sue's from a cardboard problem it was kind of funny it was kind of weird and um, I try to make it a thing um, I had a celebrity sign like a thing for me <laughs> are you Sue's from a cardboard problem on it um, it was very silly having said that uh, I don't think I'm hobby famous I think there's a very small bit of the hobby that knows who I am um, and they have people who have been reading my blog <laughs> since 2007. Um, um, but it's kind of cool. I like that I can ask questions on Twitter and like, you know, it doesn't, I don't get crooked crickets in response. I actually have a really good like engagement on Twitter. So, um, I find that part a lot of fun. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Craig wants to know, what are your thoughts on investing in modern versus vintage wax? If this is something that you, uh, that you do. Um, I don't, I don't, I'll say flat out. I don't invest. Boom. I'm not an investor. I am a card collector. Um, I have cards worth lots of money and they stay in my collection. Like I, I don't invest in cards. I'm not out there looking to be like, Oh, who is the next big person? So I could go sell. Not, not interested in that at all. Having said that, um, I personally find vintage to be very good, uh, whether it's singles or wax, because, um, in my mind, vintage won't go down. Um, you know, vintage is what it is. These players are what they are. They're either Hall of Famers or they're not. Um, their careers are completely done. And you know exactly like what the end was. You don't have to worry about like, oh, I'm going to buy this Burrow card. And then next week he goes out and he breaks his leg like Joe Theismann and he never plays again. Like that's not going to happen. So I personally find it like investing, despite me not being an investor, um, I find vintage to be a good investment. Because I think it's only going to go up. Yeah, I mean, especially if it's unopened. But uh, but even not, I'm with I'm with you on on that stuff there. Lucky wants to know: Do you rip much wax or just buy what you're looking for? No, I'm both. Yeah, I, I definitely buy open. I love to open 
packs of cards. So um, I will buy several boxes throughout the year to open. I am a Montgomery Tops Montgomery Club member. So I buy like all those exclusives and generally will open 90% of them. Um, and then, you know, I will certainly buy the cards I'm looking for. I, you know, I get mad at myself sometimes when there's like a Jeter card that I need to get and it's a couple hundred bucks. And instead I spend those couple hundred on wax and I get like nothing. And I'm like, I could have just bought that Jeter card this whole time. <laughs> so, um, but I do both. Mix. Yeah. I, I hear you. I, I, I don't break a lot of wax myself. I, I, I call it sharpshooting, just going after the cards you want when you're, when you're a player collector, you know, it's nice to open cards of your player, but it's also sometimes you just got to go find that card, especially if it's one you really, you really, really like. Let's let's go back and talk a bit more about uh, your your time at Beckett when you were there. You went there because of the blog. And, um, you know, I, I guess I'm just curious, like, what was it like working there? This is post Dr. James Beckett being there. He had sold the company by the time you started. But what was the culture like there? Um, you know, I worked at home. So um, they, they're based in Dallas, Texas. I, I'm from New York. I lived in New York. So I worked from home. Um, but you know, I still, I still had a really good chance to like make connections there with people. Um, I would, I've been to like going to card shows was a big way of how I did that. Going to the national, going to the sports card expo in Canada. Like, you know, I would go there and help out at the booths and that was really a lot of fun. And it also was a way to like find stories and connect with people. Um, it was very, it started becoming very corporate-y. Like there was a lot of like sort of red tape and I don't know, stipulations and like, um, it just was, it was like, it wasn't as fun as I hoped it would be. I'll say that. <laughs> like, that's the best way to put it. It wasn't super fun. It was just like, I loved working in the hobby and being in the hobby, but unfortunately, like, I felt like it was, um, it's just, you know, it was all at the end of the day, like every company, like, so I'm not gonna pretend like they're any different. At the end of the day, it was all about the dollars and like, what, you know, how much money are we making? And it, but it felt too much like that, if it makes sense. Yeah, I, I, can, I can definitely see that. Uh, just from my own experience as well, working in different companies, that does happen. Some companies, some companies, you know, the, the mission statement is, is more all encompassing of like, you know, of all stakeholders versus just the shareholders and some companies it's mostly just about the share and when i say all stakeholders i mean customers i, I mean employees right some companies it's mostly about shareholders um but let me ask you this then uh you know you spent time there you obviously you obviously interact with a lot with other hobby industry workers what was the what was the one thing if there is if there is one thing that you feel that you learned there that has served you well as you've moved on in your career um, you know, I love talking to the graders. I actually like just even as people, I love talking to them. I love hanging out with them. Um, but you know what the one thing they did teach me? Um, how to spot a fake Mariano Rivera rookie card <laughs> because I bought a raw one off of eBay and was so excited to have it. And it was like, you know, the Bowman one where he's has his arm up and he's in street clothes and I brought I brought it with me to the um, the White Plains show where they were grading and I was like, hey, check out my card, look at it, and they literally like picked it. I'm like looking for a card, but like I don't have any raw cards on my desk. But they picked it up and they were like, yeah, here you go, 
you could, you could you could put that in the trash while you're at it. Um, I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, so they sat there and explained to me like the feel of the card, how you know what's going on, and that to me was super valuable because then I was able to tell like, okay, I'm learning more about fake cards because that wasn't something I ever really worried about. I'm not a big grader; I don't really grade my cards. Um, so buying raw comes with you know a lot of like sort of. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but you know, there's things that you could end up with a fake card or reprint or something. And um, I learned more about that at the time um, working there. That's okay. Interesting. Really interesting. I want to get in and talk about your time at Tops before we do. A couple of quick comments from the chat. Jenny Miller, Suze, do you have any graded in your collection or do you only like non graded? Um, I mean, in general, most, I mean, 90% of my collection is not graded. I'll buy graded. I don't have issues buying graded. I just don't grade my own cards normally. Normally, I have graded cards. Um, I just generally something I, it's like, I'd rather spend my money buying cards than grading cards because I'm not reselling it at this point. Fair. Albert Jones says, can't believe nobody asked yet. Is Brady retired or not? We did touch on at the very beginning, Albert. I don't think he is yet retired, but... Time will tell. Jenny says, investing, your son is doing it right. Young Pokemon uh, will never get a torn ACL, which <laughs> true enough. Uh, thank you for bringing that uh, that hobby uh, line back in into relevance, Jenny Miller. Uh, Rich Barone is in the house. Yes, I of course I love all New Yorkers, Rich Barone, and always good to see you. Uh, Darren wants to know, Suze, will you collect Jason Dominguez or is modern not your thing? Uh, modern is very much my thing. I'm more of a modern collector than uh, vintage. Um, you know, I'll collect him if he, if I can afford his cars. <laughs> I can't afford his cars right now. Um, but I, you know, he's of the Yankees prospects. He's not the one that I have my eye on. So um, I have cards of that prospect that I have my eye on, which just happens to be another shortstop from New Jersey. So um, I'm collecting his cards instead. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. Uh, here we go. Skeppy says, what was your thoughts about the latest Hall of Fame results? They let Big Poppy in, but snub out Bonds and Clemens. How do you feel about that era of baseball in the hobby? And before you answer, you, I believe you put out a tweet the day the day of the announcement, was it you that who said that it's that the Hall of Fame uh, class or, or or news release is not going to be what you're expecting? Was did yeah, you say I, that? I said, I said the Hall of Fame announcement is today. It's not going to go the way you want it to go. That's what you said. So speak to that. What what did you mean by that? Um, it never. Nobody's ever happy at the end of okay. the Hall of Fame announcement. So I don't know what you wanted it to be, but it's not what it. You know, whatever way you wanted it to be, it did not go that way. Um, I'm pretty, you know, that's what, that's what I felt about it. Having said that for me personally, I was talking about the fact that, Cl that Bonds and Clemens did not, or were not going to make the hall of fame, which I personally think is terrible. I think they should be in the hall of fame. Um, what do I feel about that era of baseball? It's the era of baseball that brought us all back. Like did it, baseball was like sort of dying at the time. And if it wasn't for McGuire and Sosa in 1998, we're not here, you know? It's kind of ridiculous that they could embrace the steroid era. And I'm talking about baseball. They could embrace it. They could highlight it. They could promote it. But then when it comes to, like, wanting to put them into the Hall of Fame, we're like, eh, we're not going to go there. Um, that, that bothers me a lot um, because it's so hypocritical and it's very, like, exploitative of the players. And I don't like this. I don't like it at all. Um, I saw a um, 
a baseball reporter who had tweeted out that day saying the fact, you know, the fact that they lowered the time on the Hall of Fame vote from 15 years to 10 years is interesting because I think to be, you have to be in the BBWAA for at least 10 years to get a Hall of Fame vote, I think it is. And all those sort of like kids and young adults who grew up on that era were just going to start getting their vote for the Hall of Fame. But because they shortened the window of being on the ballot from 15 years to 10 years, they missed out on those people who were going to be able to vote, who grew up watching these people play. Um, so that's my opinion on it. It bothers me. I think they should have been in. And the fact that they're not in is kind of a joke. I, I'm with you. I, I think Bonds and Clemens need to be in there. Where do you sit on Pete Rose? Um it's still the hall of fame. I think that there is, I think he deserves a place in the hall of fame as well. Like I get it, but at the same time, like you're just going to pretend like our hits leader, the baseball hits leader doesn't exist. Like yeah. it's silly. It was like those tops cards on the backs of the cards. It was like, you know, he's on these blacklisted. So you tops can put him on cards. And then when they had those like stats on the back, it's like, I forget what year it was. It was like, you know, people were chasing like milestones. And one of them was like, so-and-so you know whatever guy is 2,000 hits behind the all-time hits leader like because like it's so vague like they're not even mentioning like Pete Rose's name and like in the text in the back it was very silly yeah I'd like to see them all in in myself I know and I know that's a divisive sort of topic but that's okay we don't have to get divisive here tonight a couple questions about you and collecting a Derek Jeter uh DJ Lazy Jeff says how difficult how difficult is it to collect Jeter I imagine there's a lot of people chasing his cards. Do you ever wish you collected Brett Gardner instead? Um, I have actually, like, it's difficult because they're expensive, you know? Like, um, I have so many, though. Like, I'm up over 2,500 different Derek Jeter cards, so I, I have a lot. Um, but the number is probably way higher than that because I also have not done a very good job of cataloging my cards. It's a lifelong mission at this point, you know, that'll be done in, like, 50 years from now um what i have found is actually jeter collectors are really wonderful um there i'm in a couple of different jeter groups on facebook um i am friendly with like the number one person on the psa like master set registry like they're very forthcoming with their information they're super helpful like the guy who's number one on this psa set registry like he would email me like when i would have questions like his stuff i'd write on my blog and he would just email me questions he knew there was a card i was looking for and he, he he like he put it to the side for me i have found that um jeter collectors are actually like really great at supporting each other that that's always nice. Always nice when the player collectors get together and, and maybe, you know, even form an alliance and stop beating each other up and actually start taking turns on cards, that sort of thing. I think that's always nice to see. Brian Basketball says, Susan, if you had to give away your collection but could keep one thing, let's go one card, what would it be? That's not very nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, you make me choose between my children. Yeah, I know. I'm like, hmm. I mean, I guess it would be my Jeter SP, you know, like probably that wouldn't that would probably be it it's funny right people love to ask that question but we don't love to answer it it's not a fun question mm -hmm. to answer because people ask me all the time it's like i don't know like just just I, i'm giving them all away at that yeah, point, at that point like why, why would i want to keep the one like right. it's just gonna give me bad memories of having the rest of this collection when i used to have more, way more way more <laughs> rich brown she is a rangers fan rich 
but keep it cool, Rich. Keep it cool. Rich is a major Islanders fan, so keep it cool, Rich. Keep it cool in the chat, my friend. Joe Perot in the house from Santa Cruz. Good evening, Joe. Always good to see you. Get Schwifty says, uh, that's one thing I hate seeing is people making custom cards if they're not making fake cards. Not sure what that's in relation to, but uh, welcome to the show, Get Schwifty. And uh, okay, here we go. Here's a, here's a, Craig says, Suze, is breaking cards good or bad for the hobby? Now, before, I think he doesn't mean like actually breaking it in half. I think he means breaking into packs. The thing I have to say to Craig is like, you really have to look at this question and nothing against you, Craig, but it's almost a silly question because no breaking, no singles, no breaking, no set collecting. Like there has to be breaking. It is obviously good for the hobby. But I think what he means is group breaks and the gamble aspect, obviously. Is that good or bad for the hobby? Why don't you uh, give that a shot? I think like with everything, there are good and bad aspects to it. Um, I think overall, though, it's probably on the better side than the bad side. Um, I don't, I'm not a big I'm not. I have joined group breaks, and I have actually pulled very nice cards from group breaks. I pulled. I joined a a group break with Crack and Wax many years ago, and got an Aaron Judge rookie heritage autograph. Like, not going to complain about that. I think I got it for like thirty bucks for the break. You know, like I'm not sad about that. Um, I think it's also a really great way for new people to understand cards. Like there's so many videos and people showing cards and like you get a really good education from that as well. Um, and then it's a good way for people who, you know, I can't afford to buy into Immaculate, but I can maybe can afford to buy into a break for it. You know, it's that kind of stuff. I think there's more good than bad. Yeah. I think I, I'm just grateful it happens. And uh, because that way we can go out and find those singles that we want. So um, I think it's a good thing. It's expo it's, it's given people the ability to, act, you know, on, on team select sort of breaks, you can pick your team. I think it's a good thing for the hobby overall. And I mean, there's shenanigans and that, and just like in any industry anywhere, but uh, there are definitely a lot of breakers out there that have integrity and do it right. And kudos to them for, for, uh, you know, just, being good, good business people, good hobbyists as, as well. Lots of talk in the chat about, about the the baseball players who should be Hall of Famers that aren't Hall of Famers, the Pete Roses and all that. So I'll leave that to the chat to, to discuss, but nice to see you all getting passionate about that. Rich Brown does concede that Derek Jeter is a god, he says. He is a god. That's great. Get Swifty. So you're telling us you like Jeter. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. Rich Klein, wife and I were married on Derek Jeter's birthday, so we have a little shrine to him in our living room. Really, Rich? Is that why you have a shrine to him? Because you were married on the same day? That's pretty cool. Very nice. Chrissy keeps his 86 Flair Jordan rookie. If you got to keep only one, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. That's a card that why not keep, right? Why not keep? Okay. Lots of comments, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for all the uh, all the action and all the, all the uh, engagement. It's really great. Let's go back to uh, to you and your career. I want to talk about tops now. So what caused you to leave Beckett and go to tops? Yeah, you know, I just was looking for something new, you know, something a little bit different. Um, but then it's also like, oh, look, here's a job opening at Tops, the most iconic card company in the world. You know, um, they're based in New York. So, you know, I, I lived in New York. So I reached out, you know, I saw this job opening it was for a sports editor at the time. So I reached out to somebody I knew there and was like, hey, I see this job opening. What's up? <laughs> that was on a Friday. 
And then on Monday, they were like, yeah, come in on Monday. I'm like, you got it. And I came in on Monday and I interviewed for the job. And by that Friday, I had the job. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really exciting. And the job was as a sports editor was, um, to pick the images that went on the fronts of the cards was like the bulk of the job. There was a lot more to it than that, but the bulk of it and the coolest part was like, you got to pick the images that went on the cards. Um, so I did that for about 10 months and then I moved over to the marketing team where I was able to actually utilize like the skills that I had from working in journalism, um, as the marketing communications manager, and I handled Tops's social, all of social, all their social media accounts. Um, I wrote their press releases. You know, did the occasional interview here and there, um, and I did that for four years. And talk about the culture there. I mean, we talked about it a bit at Beckett. I, it's always interesting to me as a collector, and again, not you know these companies seem so far away, and now now they're not because of just the the connectivity, but. What was the culture like back there at Tops when you were working there? You know, I, I really enjoyed working there. Um, the fact of the matter is like you can, you're surrounded by cards. Like it's amazing, you know, and there's people who share the same sort of passion that I did about cards. So I could go into work and I could sit there and talk about cards and have discussions about it. And, you know, it, it, it never got old. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. That's it. <laughs> okay. No, good. You know, what would you say you, you, so it was the second in a second company in the hobby slash industry that you worked at yet. It's a different company, different people. What can you identify what maybe the biggest difference was between Beckett and tops? Um, you know, it was just, you know, Beckett because you know, it was a lot of writing and stuff. Beckett was like a sort of like a daily grind, like the day to day was just a lot, lot, lot. Um, and kind of became like that a little bit when I was doing what I did on social media. But at the same time, like, I feel like I was having an impact. Um, I think that was a big thing. I felt like I had a bigger impact at Tops than I did at Beckett. So like, you know, I was working on the marketing team. You sort of have an effect on the company as a whole and working through all the different kinds of car, you know, all the different brands. Whereas like at Beckett, you know, I'm just writing about the news, which I love. I love it even now. Like I love, that's why I have a card chat newsletter. I love writing about cards. Um, but it, it was, it, I loved working at Tops because, you know, one, I learned so much about the industry, which, you know, I, I love talking about, but um, I also, you know, got to have an impact on things. Like there are things that happened at Tops, like I still see them doing now of things that like I helped them create or like a project I work on that like they're still utilizing. So that, it's really cool to feel, to see that happening. The most important question right here from Brian Basketballs is, did you get free bubblegum as a perk? Not just bubblegum, but I got ring pops, um, and baby bottle pops. If I, I didn't eat those, but um, yes. literally like sh putting sugar down your throat. But um, yes, there was lots of candy there. All right. Well, interesting stuff. We're going to get on to your time at Golden in a minute. A couple comments here. Albert Jones watched the movie 42 tonight. Really great movie. I agree. I love that movie. And, um, you know, I, I have... I love that movie so much. Jackie Robinson is, is my Jackie Robinson rookie is my favorite card in my collection. I think if I, if maybe that's the one I'd keep, if I could only keep one, but it's Pee Wee Reese who really stood out to me in that movie, Albert Jones. Did you notice how awesome of a guy Pee Wee, Pee -wee Reese was? Cause I came out of that movie knowing how awesome of a guy Pee Wee Reese was. And uh, 
went and pursued his card as well to pair up with the with the Jackie. Um, do how about you, Suze? Any any comments on on Jackie Robinson and Pee Wee Reese? Just because I talked about it for a minute there. Yeah, I've never seen that movie. Um, I actually have it on DVD, and it's probably still in the shrink wrap. <laughs> Get it graded. Um, Get it graded. Like, that yeah. Right, that's a new thing, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I got every time. Like, I, I love Jackie Robinson, and just like hearing the stories. Like, I'm a very emotional person. Everything makes me cry, and so like hearing stories and like reading things about him, like it, it really does. It makes me emotional. Like, I, I get teary. I get like teary eye. Like reading everything that he had gone through and everything he went through, and like, you know, it's it's pretty impactful. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. That movie, you'll you'll love it. Savor it though. Like it, it's a movie I'd love to be able to watch again for the first time and experience it like that. It, it was wonderful. Rich Brown says Thurman Munson should be in the Hall of Fame. Sure, why why not? Why not, Rich? And uh, Brent Bent Cardboard says sports cards is a in a hole is a form of gambling. Prices go up, prices go down by the minute. Now I'm just going to bring up a bit of this little chain of discussion. Chris C says it's low risk if you buy correctly where Bent Cardboard says, risk is risk, it's gambling, to which Anthony George says, gambling, so someone who collects anything is a gambler now. So I'm going to go, I, I mean, my thoughts are that it's like every time you, if we're going to say that sports cards as a whole is gambling, because it isn't, but if we're going to say that, then it's like living is a gamble, because anytime you breathe in, you could breathe in a virus that could kill you. Anytime you step out of your house, you are gambling with your life. So it's a very extreme position to say that, but there is an ele- there certainly is an element of gamble, and there are certainly ways to gamble in the hobby. But as a whole, for people who've been in the hobby for longer than a minute, let's say, and I, I know that term, a minute's kind of catching on as a term right now. But if you've been in the hobby for longer than like 18 months, there's a lot that, that it's not so much gambling. I don't consider it gambling for myself. But there is risk when you are in when you are deploying a significant amount of money, whatever significant is for you into a card there is definitely risk but risk isn't always gambling i don't think what do you think Suze? is risk always gambling um it's a big question like i think there is gambling aspect within the hobby you know um anytime you open any type of wax it's it's a bit of a gamble um and you know it's funny because like i wrote about this you know in one of my card chat newsletters that i think the subject line was something along the lines of um, the gamble brings me back, you know, it's like to open essentially to opening wax. Like, why do I keep opening wax when I want to buy, you know, my, the singles that I want? Um, you know, I, I like the little bit of the gamble. I like the idea of like, you know, I could hit something kind of big, even though I'm never going to sell it, but like, I'm going to hit something big. Like, I think you just have to be smart and responsible about it. Like, don't go over your head. You know, if you can't afford it, don't buy it. Like that, that's the reality of the situation. Yeah. Um, Mike Petty says 95 to 98% of vintage packs are fake. Like I just, I need to know Mike Petty, where do you get, where's your evidence for that range? Like, how do you come up to 95 to 98? Sounds like you're just kind of throwing it out there, you know, willy nilly style. Cause I I just don't think you can back that up. I think it's number one, I think it's be impossible to back that up. But, uh, but anyway, I mean, it's, it's, it's an opinion, I suppose, more than obviously more than the fact. And, um, that just implies that 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 every vintage pack that exists, somebody kept the wrapper and then found the cards later and put them in and sealed it up, went through all that trouble. I know people go through that trouble, but to say 95 to 98 percent, I don't know what the rate is, but I think that's way high. Just personally, just personally. How about you, Suze? Any 
Any uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you're talking to somebody who spent years in journalism. So unless you have facts and anything to back that up, like, come on, that's kind of a throwaway statement. Yeah, a little, little ridiculous on that one, Mike Petty. But hey, keep the comments coming. Uh, Darren says, Suze, what is your take on the remakes of la of past year's designs, the throwbacks? I'm not a huge fan. Let 84 tops be 84, right? What do you think of that? Yeah, you know, I liked it, you know, the first one or two times they did it. You know, it's kind of fun, you know, to sort of like, you know, nostalgia is a big part of the hobby. And it's not, so it's kind of fun to look at that back at that stuff. But I think it's at the point where it's it's a bit overdone. Fair. Yeah. I I feel that way too a little bit. I don't mind the odd throwback or, or archives or or um, heritage type of set. But if it's done over and over again, it's like, yeah, just leave that design alone. I, I totally see where Darren's coming from there. And especially when it comes to like tribute cards and that, like do them to an extent, but you don't want to, you just don't want to like, you don't want to just drown out the appeal of a design because you see it more and more, so many times over and over again. Anthony George says, I think it would be amazing to work for multiple different companies in this industry. You must have a crazy wealth of knowledge and experience. Appreciate you sharing it with us. Yeah, that's a nice comment. Thank you for that, Anthony. And thank you again to Suze for, for of course, coming on and sharing all of that, all your knowledge with us. Let's talk more about Golden now. So you left Tops. How long was there between you working at Tops and you starting to work at Golden? Uh, about 18 months. Okay, so a good a good amount of time. And what was it that brought you out of hobby industry retirement and back into working in one of the hobbies, sort of biggest brands out there, most, most uh, you know, uh, sort of out uh, uh, visible brands in our hobby? Yeah, so I left Tops, and um, yeah, I was working outside the hobby. I kind of I needed I needed a little bit of a break. Like it became a lot. Like not gonna lie, like it was baseball cards all day and baseball cards all night and it was well that's my life now too it's a, it's a little different I think I've done a better job of being able to manage my time a little bit better now but um it was a lot and I needed a break so I left and um started and then I, I wasn't gone that long like that's when I started my newsletter that's when I started card chat the newsletter because um because I wasn't in the hobby anymore and I sort of like was able to like cleanse myself of like what I needed um you know I, I got back into it and I wrote a card chat newsletter and I actually had mentioned Ken Golden in the newsletter and I just was talking about his sort of like marketing prowess in it and how like he he's he does a really great job with like marketing and PR he does a good job and he emailed me after the newsletter no like no idea like how he even saw it and he emailed me afterwards and then, you know, just was like, hey, look, listen, he's like, you ever need to get in touch about anything? He's like, just email me. He's like, you know, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, you don't need to write about me without asking questions kind of thing. I'm like, oh, OK, cool. And then like a little while later, he emailed me and he was like, hey, um, you want to talk? And I'm like, sure. And he, and he we started chatting. And then, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, I'm working on things here like um maybe there's a job in there for you. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And this was months before I started working there. So like we kept in touch and then um, they came calling and they were like, hey, we have a job for you. And I was like, okay, <laughs> sure. And um, yeah, I started working at Golden. And how's it going so far? How, how are you enjoying it? 
it's good. I actually am like in a different position than when I started there, um, which is great. I actually love my new position. I get to, I'm working back. I, I didn't start on them. I was on a different team then, and now I'm on the marketing team. Um, and it's really, it's been really fun, you know, like it's, it's exciting because like, you know, as somebody on the outside, like you see all these crazy headlines, this sells for a million dollars. This is selling for a million dollars. And you're like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. And now like you're part of that and you're seeing like all these cards and just the excitement of the hobby and just what people are doing. And every day is like super exciting because like, you never know what's going to come in the building. Like what amazing card, what amazing piece of memorabilia, what like super cool like comic or something is going to be coming in the building and that to me is like really exciting because I love the hobby and it's great because even at Tops and even at Beckett I've never been at a place where the people love the hobby as much as I do and I know that sounds silly but it's like I've always been the one that's like, hey, did you see this news? Did you see what happened? And I have those that happening to me now where people are like, hey, did you see what happened? And I'm like, I did. You saw it too, <laughs> you know? So I, it's great because like I could like, you know, I work at home now. I work remotely now, but like I can pick any almost like all these people to talk to in the building and they know the hobby. Like we can sit there and talk cards and, and, it's, and it's really wonderful and I, I enjoy it so much. Is there a lot of anticipation and excitement around the virtual office right now uh, surrounding the Netflix series that is due to come out this year starring Ken Golden? What Netflix series? I'm just kidding. I can't. It's like this one of those things where it's like, oh, first of all, I don't know anything about it. Like literally what you guys have read online, that's all I know about it. Um, and I also know I can't talk about anything else, despite the fact that like, I don't know anything about it. And that's the honest truth. Like, I don't know anything about it. Um, but I can't even talk about like, what I don't know about it, because I don't know anything about it. <laughs> what? Okay, let me ask you this. The same question I've asked you for the last two companies that you worked for being Beckett and Tops. What have you learned so far? Uh, new? What have you learned that's new for you? I guess that's sort of inherent in being something you've learned uh, in your time at Golden so far? Yeah, you know, it's there's it's a whole different industry, even though it's still like card related. There's It's a whole new industry. It's an auction house. And I've never worked for a company. I mean, technically Beckett sold cards on the secondary market with their marketplace, but that was not a priority. I've never worked with for a company, you know, that was selling cards on the secondary market, like working at Tops, like we were the first point of contact for those sales. So it was in the creation of cards and then the marketing of the cards and all of that, where now like we're taking stuff that's already been created and reselling it. So it's an entirely new industry. And I, and I am the type of person I love to absorb everything. You know, I try to learn as much as I can. And so it's like, I've just been trying to like, I'm trying to be a sponge, trying to get everything that I possibly can. It's been, I've learned a lot, you know, and even just like, I know you've had Ken on here and like, even just listening to him speak, like he, he has so much knowledge, like hobby knowledge and stuff. Like I love just listening to him talk about it because I learned something like, I don't even know how he retains all of that knowledge. I'll be honest. It's like, I learned something new from him. Like every time. I'm sure the guy has, he's, he's a, he's an, he's an OG. I, I dubbed you an OG on the uh, advertising. He's like the oldest of OG. <laughs> the o, the o, well, we got Rich Klein in the chat here. He's an, he's an OG as well. 
Um, okay, we're going to go to some comments here. Uh, Mike Kohler says, I see the collectible shirt. Yes, I'm wearing a collectible shirt. Got it at the National. Says, Jeremy, when uh, when can Canadians buy a collectible? I don't know, Mike, but uh, not yet. Not yet. You need to be a U.S. citizen at this time. WNBA says, hobbies are money losers. I have lots of friends who spend six figures on a boat, tens of thousands on gas and gear each year to catch $5 fish. Back to the whole you know, gambling aspect of the hobby. So that's a fair comment. Puts things puts things in perspective for sure. Rich Klein says, Jeremy, dead on comment about life. My sister-in-law took a terrible wrong stop Friday night and has to have emergency surgery on her leg tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, every time you leave the house, you are, you are gambling. Uh, okay, keeping on going. Uh, Ber- Julian says, as an aside to this great conversation, Jeremy, it throws me off whenever you refer to me as my real name. Still not used to it. Well, Birds on the Bat has been uh, involved in this chat on, on this show for, for several months and um, finally found out his name. So I get to call him Julian now. And I will continue to do that, Julian. Um, and Boss says, the way we use minute in the Bay Area is meant to mean a long time. Yeah, I guess I kind of got that mixed up. I meant, I think I used it in the, in the, in the, in, in terms of it being a, a short time. So thanks for setting me straight, and Boss. I appreciate that. Rich says, uh, it's great to see your enthusiasm on the hobby. Great to see Jeremy and I are not the only card geeks who can talk for hours on the hobby. Rich, we're far from the only two. I do this every Saturday night with somebody different. We're coming up to, between Sports Cards Live, After Hours, Collectible Live. I'm coming up right now on about 200 episodes, uh, most of them being interviews. So there's lots of nerds like us, Rich. Lots of nerds like us that love to talk cardboard for sure. For sure. And Anthony George says, Rich, I feel that most of the regulars here are in the same boat as you. I am at least. Good to know. Good to know. I, lots of comments coming in tonight, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, for just taking part in the show. I'm just going to scan them here quick and see if there's anything else that we're going to bring into the show at the moment. But uh, I do want to thank everybody again. DR says, is there anything that could happen for you to pause your buying in the hobby? That's a That's an interesting question right there. I mean... And everyone's going to answer this one differently, right, Suze? Because player collectors are going to answer differently than than investors versus prospectors versus flippers versus broad style collectors. So why don't you take a take a shot at it first? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say no because there certainly is something that could always happen, you know, in the hobby to make me stop buying. Um, <laughs> excuse me. I think it would have to be like. Um, a big scandal, like something to make me, um, I'm going to cough again. So I'm going to let you talk. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Have your cough, have your cough. No problem. Well, Anthony George says when life happens, I stop buying for a bit. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like I've taken sort of like right now I've bought maybe two cards in the last 30 days. I'm trying to just kind of audit my own mind and make sure that that's somewhat accurate. Whereas, you know, there's sometimes where I'm, where I'm buying, you know, singles, you know, online purchases. I mean, I'm buying several of them. I did go to a local show the other day and bought a few cards. So it's more than two. But, you know, I think about eBay purchases. I, I've been slow on eBay now for about six months or so. So I don't know why it is. It's just these things go in cycles. You ready for it now, Suze? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I agree with that, too, I think. 
especially with like the buying in cycles. Like there's times where like I'm buying everything and I can go months then without not buying a single thing. Um, I like to call it like uh, there's peaks and valleys to my collecting. And like sometimes I'm in a valley and sometimes in a peak. Like right now when it comes to sports cars, I'm probably like in a valley. But my gosh, I've bought a lot of Pokemon cards lately. So so you're still active in cardboard, which is still still good. T. Jones says a collector will always collect. And see, but here's the thing. The, the, the adjective of collect, it's not just buying cards, right? There's so many things we can do. I feel, I call it, maybe the better descriptor is like hobbying. Like, how do you hobby? And it's not just buying cards. It's, it's I call it playing with your cards, whether you're going to log them in an Excel or you're going to add them to a, to a, a website in a collector sort of uh, platform or, you know, put up input your collection into a platform Whatever it is you're doing, searching on eBay, looking at Instagram, talking to hobby friends, there's so many things that you can do to be active in the hobby without actually buying cards. But as far as, you know, the act of buying cards, yeah, there's many reasons why people slow down here and there. A downturn causes lots of people to slow down when really that's when you should be buying. Buy, buy low, sell high. It shouldn't go the other way around. But a lot of people got caught in the other, on the other end of that recently. Uh, Pepino man, I saw you jump in here. Where'd that go? He says, <laughs> being broke is the only reason I ever stopped buying cards. And yeah, sometimes people just run out of money. So you stop buying cards, but what would happen, have to happen for me to stop buying cards? Death. I think I have to die. I think that's what has to happen. Literally. That's what's going to happen. have to happen for me to stop buying cards. Really nothing else or collecting or being an active hobbyist. Nothing else is going to stop me. It's been like, literally for me, it's been 40 years of, being in the hobby, it's it's like most of my life. How am I going to stop now? Something crazy would have to happen. And I don't know what that is. Death, death. Okay, let's keep on going. Mike Petty, you can go months too. I have everything I ever wanted. <laughs> well, good, good. <laughs> if you have everything you ever wanted, but then, you know, but it's, then why do you keep buying? Right? Like why, why, why do we keep collecting? You have everything we ever... I think I think a lot of the time we find new things that we do want as well, which that's a great segue, actually. Like it, the one thing I've learned over the course of the hobby, and especially recently, as I have sort of slowed down building out certain areas of my collection because I've kind of accomplished some goals. One thing I've learned is that I always find more things that I'm that I find interesting or that I can collect, and whether it's just a different set or a different like a, a, a type of insert that I want to chase or a player that I decide I'm going to buy, you know, five or 10 of their cards, that sort of thing. But Suze, you recently went through a process where you did add a new player to your player collecting. And I found that really interesting. Not, not because, okay, who's the player that's interesting too, but I wanted, I wanted you to help explain or, or, you know, for anyone who might be thinking to themselves, you know, I'm getting a little, the hobby's becoming a little stale for me. I want to find something else to collect. What are some ways or, or how would you advise somebody to go about kind of reinvigorating their, their hobby experience by adding a new PC to their overall collection? Yeah. So I recently started collecting like Anthony Rizzo cards on the Yankees only. Like I don't collect this. I have actually I have like a bunch of autographs when he was on the Cubs, but just from pulling them. Um, but, you know, for me, the important thing was like, I need to feel like a certain connection to a player and like something about them. Like, I don't know how, but it just feels right. And like, obviously that was with Jeter and like, I have a whole bunch of judge cards. Um, and with Rizzo, I actually always liked him, but he was on the Cubs and I'm not going to collect a 
Cubs player. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, but then when he came to the Yankees, it was like, absolutely. And I think, when, you know, when it comes to collecting a player specifically, because that's a, that's a little bit tougher because then it's like you bought all these cards of this player, you know, and I'm talking about collecting. I'm not talking about investing. Like, you need to have a certain connection like what is that connection did this person grow up in your hometown do they play your favorite position on your favorite team um you know and for me like with um for, I actually love catchers too so it's like my own Rizzo's not my only collection like I, I collect Elston Howard cards as well um and I love you know his story and what he meant for the Yankees and so I have a whole bunch of his cards and I think that's the important part it's like find the thing that makes you connect with the player as well so like our hobby is connections with other hobbyists but for me it's also like connections to that player so I find the player that like I feel a connection to and I want to sort of like celebrate them and for me that's I do that by collecting their cards yeah find a connection right find something really important i think that's great advice to find that connection with the subject of your next pc we use the pc we use the term pc very loosely it's like what's your pc people say who do you collect wow who do i that's what do i collect lots of things i collect these seven players and these these 16 sets and these these different sport like i collect there's always there's always more to collect and if you're going to collect something, if you're going to look for something new to collect, make sure it has meaning to you. Otherwise, you're probably going to get bored with it. So I think that's great advice. Uh, Mike Petty says, I like scanning all the cards with the new scanner. I like to look at them in picks better than in hand. And that's fair. And and it's right. Part of collecting, part of hobbying is the action of, you know, those the new card comes in, you process it into your collection, or you get that new scanner and you rescan everything. It gives you that chance to actually interact with your cards again that you may not have for a little while get swifty i like this one it says collecting is like a puzzle you want to see how it turns out which is interesting because you it, it, it implies that you don't know how it's going to turn out at the beginning but in the end is where you find the greatest joy of finishing something that you may not have expected it's interesting because when is the end that, that's the other thing to me the end is is as undefined as sometimes the project of collecting is at the outset but good comments uh, get swifty Eric says, our, or our wives say to stop collecting. That could be a reason why Eric would stop. I don't know, Eric. Uh, that, that, would, that wouldn't stop me. I'll tell you that. Uh, but my wife would never say that either. Brian says, I enjoy just looking at my cards. They bring up a memory. Most of those memories make me smile. Wonderful. That's a, that's a great reason to collect. Rich Barone tells me not to die or he'd have to get one of my, a dead cut of mine because Rich collects, he calls them dead cuts. It's, it's quite a, an aggressive way to... To, to label cut autos of deceased players. Dead cuts. Dead cuts. Rich, love you. DR says, I think selling cards and shipping with care is a fun, underrated way to hobby. That's an interesting take, right? Because it's kind of the opposite of collecting. It's, it's now disposing and moving them out. But there's one thing about selling that is so rewarding, and that is knowing that you've placed a card into into someone's collection that they are going to cherish and love. I, I have the pleasure, the privilege of doing that oftentimes at card shows and you just know there are sales you make where you know they're just going to put it in their own showcase or you know they're going to add it to their trade box. That's fine too. But when you can sell a card to somebody who's going to love that card, it's it's really a great feeling. There was a question in here for you, Suze, which, which was, it was earlier, but it was basically asking, have you ever sold the card? Do you sell your cards ever? 
Um, yeah, I've sold plenty of cards back back in the day. Uh, when my friend and I had our card block, we actually tried to like venture into our own sort of like buying cases and like ripping them and like selling cards from them. Um, we did the whole like case breaking thing before it was cool and popular. Um, and we, we did we actually did like case breaks on the blog as well. And like people would buy and we did it because like, we can't afford like, basic cards right or not basic we could like we're both yankees fans we wanted to pull like giant yankees cards and we can't afford the giant yankees cards but so what we were doing was like we were selling at cost like we weren't making any money off of the arcade breaks and we were selling at cost um the spots in the break for teams um and we were doing this in 2011 and i remember specifically it was 2011 because we opened 2011 finest and I had traded the Blue Jays because nobody bought the Blue Jays. And so we had the Blue Jays and I traded the Blue Jays to the Angels guy because um, I worked in South Jersey when I mentioned I worked in Press Atlantic City and I covered Mike Trout when he was in high school. So I was trying to collect some of his cars. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's trade into the Angels. And we pulled the finest Mike Trout rookie X-Fractor autograph. (laughs) (laughs) So... Yes. So I have sold cards in the past. And the reason I mentioned it because we were opening other product and like selling like to singles and selling the autographs. Like we were trying to say like, hey, maybe we can make this as a business. And we did not. Um, we did. We've done other things with our lives since then. Having said that, I've sold cards on my own, like just on eBay and stuff. But I haven't sold a card in a very long time. I just I well, like I just can't deal with the hassle of like going to the post i don't even want to go to the post office like i have something i need to send somebody that they i did not like i picked up for them at at a show and it's it's been sitting here for like two months because i don't want to go to the post office like i just don't don't want to do it so i would be a terrible seller and so i don't do it yeah i i hear you on the post office the whole process (laughs) of selling cards on ebay i don't enjoy whatsoever that's why you know consignment sellers do provide a great service uh, for the most part, um, bent cardboard says someone needs to get the guy from Jack of all trades on their show to talk about where the hobby has gone since his documentary hint, hint. Yeah. That'd be a great idea. Bent cardboard. Pepino man says with vintage, you can buy the same cards twice, but never have the same card because their wounds make them different. That's a cool outlook. I, I, I like that outlook. I like, you know, when it comes to collecting vintage Sue's, like I, I don't want a PSA nine. I don't want a gem mint card. I want a card. I want it more in that like four to seven range. If it's really old and seven is a very strong grade, but even, yeah. Oh God. That's one of the most beautiful cards ever made right there. 53 tops, Willie Mays and a 2.5. Yeah. And look at it. It looks beautiful. My, this is my, my husband bought this. Um, oh, but yeah, card. yeah, I agree. Like I don't need a PSA nine or a 10 and vintage cards. Like, give me the love you know i want to see some love on those cards (laughs) right right they're old they they've traveled through many hands i want that card to have have a to have had a life of its own but to still be presentable of course i mean this Uh, card it's a two and a half and it looks beautiful like it does it's gorgeous like i you know eric says it all the time those back pages like buy the card not the grade and like i agree 100 with that 100 100 percent T-Dot says, Suze, do you have any Gretzkys? Um, I do. You do? Um, I was surprised. 2010-ish, somewhere around there. 
at one of the nationals. I redeemed, you know, some packs at the upper deck booth and in the upper and in my packs, which I didn't open till months later. I, I do this all the time. There was a Wayne Gretzky autograph numbered nine of nine. His jersey. So 99. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I still have it because I don't, again, don't sell cards. So I still have it. So, yes, I have a Gretzky card. That's a, that's a nice pull. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, Darren wants to know if we've ever had Sasha T on a guest that no, never had Sasha T on sports cards live. David French, I like this. I keep asking myself, what does this card mean to me? Is it legendary? Is it a childhood tweak? Is it something that makes me feel young for a moment? Or takes me back for a moment right there he i think he's he's actually like kind of defining what like what the feeling of nostalgia actually is so good job on that david french i like that one james says my wife asks me don't you have a card show to go to to get me out of the house i like that pretty funny uh that's i'm, I'm about to say i wish my wife would say that to me too sometimes but it, but she lets me go for sure. Ben Carbor says Bobby Burrell can give an answer on the percentage of vintage packs that are fake. I don't think he can, though. I mean, how, how can anybody give that answer? Uh, as, 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 as informed and researched as Bobby is, I just don't know that anybody could really give that answer. Rich Barone says perfectly put on selling. Glad that, uh, that uh, resonated with you, Rich. Brian Basketball says, I've downloaded and started using the app Center Stage. It uses your iPhone camera. It works great on the newer stuff, but seems to be but seem to be loading more. Anyone else used it? So I've used it actually, and I recommend it. Check out Center Stage. I'm going to have the founder on the show uh, in March, actually. We've got him coming on in March. So check out the Center Stage app. And that's one of these things that will, will get better and better as time goes on because they have they have a team of, of uh, developers that are working on that project. So check it out. Check it out. Lots of Lots of comments coming through. Let's let's do this for a sec, Suze, because we're we're already at an hour 40. This is gone by really quick, really quick. I can do this all day. Like I love talking about cards. I can sit here all day and do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost midnight where you are. Let's do this though. You worked at Tops for a while, and Tops, you know, the big announcement came out in August that that Fanatics had basically uh, I, I've been using the term hijacked the licenses, the baseball, basketball, football licenses right out from under Tops and Panini. And then five, four or five months later, big news again, Fanatics acquires Tops. What are your insights into all this? You worked at Tops. What are they going through there right now? What's What was life like at Tops from the date that that was announced until, until they were acquired? So there was some uncertainty and now they've been acquired by an even bigger company. What do you think's going on there in those two phases? Um, you know, I still talk to a lot of people there. I, I'm I'm friends. Like that, you know, I say this. One of the best things about Tops that I mentioned before, though, was was the people, and I, I'm still friend. Like I'm still friends. So there's people I still talk to, like at least once a week, who work there. But to be honest, I don't bring up work a lot because it's like. I never want to feel like I'm prying, like trying to be like, hey, tell me the inside gossip. Having said that, um, when the news broke, um, with the initial news, not just this past one that happened when Topps was acquiring Fanatics, when the news broke that like Fanatics got the baseball license and I'm, like I was texting people there and like they didn't even know about it. Like it was one of those things where it was like I was breaking the news to them and like that's terrible. So you can only imagine that like, 
they're finding out this news and what they know is literally what we know like the only information they're getting is everything they're getting from social media or like these waiting for these articles so i imagine like the last several like last few months because it was august i think the news came out initially have been a little uncertain because like what is my future going to look like like are we going to continue to make cards? Are we going to try to do something else? Should I be looking for another job? Like, I'm sure all of those thoughts were going through people's minds. Um, and then, you know, I, I do think of, it was a bit of a reprieve to hear that, like, Fanatics was actually bought tops. Because, like, okay, like, now there's a path. Before, there was no path. Like, you didn't know which way you were going. And now there's a, a path. Like, this is where, what it is. Um I just think there's still some uncertainty because like, okay, now we're on this path, but who knows what it, what it looks like. But at least, at least we know where it's going. I just don't know how bumpy it's going to be. Yeah. And I mean, if I'm at tops right now and I'm, I'm obviously not, and I don't, I've only been through what I've been through based on my personal experiences in business, in companies, I've been, I, you know, been acquired when you're acquired you know, you're always sort of told, oh, it's going to be business as usual. It's never, yeah. well, in my experience, it's never been business as usual. Things always change and uh, and it's not to the liking of everybody. So um, I'm sure there is still some uncertainty, but I think it's, I got to think it's almost better this way than the, uh, you know, to be acquired than not to be acquired. And, you know, in hindsight, it, uh, it's it just makes so much much sense to me in hindsight that fanatics would would pursue the acquisition of tops versus any of the other card companies because tops is synonymous with with sports cards in in american culture it, yeah. it tops it's not panini panini's italian culture it's only they've only been making cards in this in the in north america since like 20 2009 or 10 something like that so it made a lot of sense for me that they would go after that iconic brand that is really, you know, it's sewn into the into the thread of of, of culture of American culture. It make makes makes so much sense to me. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, you know, they they needed each other. That's the reality situation. Like, tops needed fanatics as much as fanatics needed tops because um, you're not going to make fanatics trading cards like that's just that's it you're not going to put out fanatics trading cards and think that like collectors are suddenly going to flock to it and buy it and like you said tops is synonymous with trading cards um so you're going to still continue to make tops cards they needed that sort of brand equity to be able to make an impact within the trading card space. Now, Tops obviously needed them because now they don't have any more license, sports licenses like of the big main sports. So Tops needed them as well. I think they needed each other just as I think Tops needed them, Fanatics, just as much as Fanatics needed Tops. And you're right, it wasn't going to be Panini. Panini wasn't going to make the same impact as having Tops. I agree. I, I agree completely. Okay, let's get to some comments here. Gross Bros Parody says, great to hear female advice within the hobby. Got to agree with that. Joe Perot loves the 53 Maze. So do I. What a beauty. Mike Petty, one of my favorite Maze cards, 1953. I only have a a five. That's a nice grade, Mike Petty, in that one. And the 2.5 looks better than mine. Interesting. (laughs) By the card, not the grade, right? Right there. Chris C. also loves the, the Maze. Yeah. Mike Petty says, Jeremy, you have great guests. Suze is legit. I know. Of course, Suze is legit, guys. Suze is definitely legit. I want to bring up uh, Bent Cardboard. 
and I, I agree with this 100%, Ben Cardboard. Uh, I'd love to hear Bobby's opinion on it uh, as well, because I know, I know he'll have one. So I do, I do agree. Let's hear his opinion and kind of round out the discussion. So um, I do uh, appreciate that comment. Skeppy <laughs> says, give us one speculative insight that the hobby seems to be missing in today's market? I mean, this is a powerful, great question, but it's one that we need to think about. So I don't know, Suze, if something comes to mind, uh, let me know. But uh, you got something? Um, <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. Really. I'm, I plan on buying um, the first WWE Prism and not opening it, if, if that if that's speculative insight. Um, yeah. I'm, like, okay. I don't do that kind of stuff, and I'm going to do that with WWE Prism. There you go. That's interesting. I'm going to go in a different direction. Something <laughs> did pop into my mind. And uh, my my speculative insight that the hobby, I don't know if the hobby's missing, but I'll share it. I'll share it anyway, is that it all comes down. I've said it before, so I'm sorry if it sounds repetitive to some who watch a lot of my content, but um, it all comes down to horizon in this hobby. We've seen we've seen the market move crazy in crazy, um, you know, to a crazy degree. Over the last year and a half, in both directions, it seems like. But if you zoom out and you look long term and you keep that collector mindset, you're, you're going to enjoy the hobby and you're going to feel, I think, less of it's like your it's like your your investment portfolio of stocks and that sort of thing, right? If you're looking at it as a retirement, you're not worrying about the day to day fluctuations. You're looking at what's this going to be worth when I retire, when however many decades out that will be so if you take the same sort of approach with your collection and not worry about the day-to-day -day changes who cares about them just enjoy but if you're in this hobby to make money on the flip really quick then it's a whole other thing so hope that's of somewhat value skeppy but uh i'll put it out to the to the chat too what do you does the chat have anything any speculative insight speculative insight mine wasn't a speculative insight was it but if anyone has any speculative insights throw them into the chat we'll take a look we'll take a look for sure and uh, Jim Hansen says, I have found a new love for beat up cards, writing, pen marks, creases, ripped, burnt, etc. Get these cards on the cheap with lots of history behind them. The uglier, the better stars on sale. I mean, that's a that's an extreme position for me. I would say, Jim, like I don't want them burnt and ripped and all that, but I want a card that's shown some love. How about you, Suze? Where do you fall with some of these uh, extreme situations like ripped and burned? Um. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna collect those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not looking. Like, I don't need uh, like a PSA ten. But I'm, and I'm talking about modern cards. But you know, I want. I still want them to look nice. That's why it's like you know, buy the card, not the grade. If if the card's beat up and has like a mustache, somebody like colored it a mustache on it. I'm not really interested in it. I yeah, me too. I don't want. I don't. I don't want writing on the card either. Maybe on the back, a pencil mark, like a an initial or something would be okay. But all depends on if the front is beautiful. Uh, okay, Chris C. Tops dumped all those 52 mantles into a leg. I want to go back and say stop, right? Like, I think we we all want to go back and say stop, uh, stop to that. Okay, great stuff, everybody. Suze, let's do this because this is something I want to make sure we hit on. And I know you can bring a lot of knowledge and educate educate us on this because I think it's a, it's a topic that's come out in recent weeks. And it has to do with Bowman's best 2021 rookies. There's a there's a bit of un, uncertainty or lack of clarity with these things. I'm going to admit, I don't even know what the issue is, but I know there's an issue out there. 
So what I'd like to ask you to do, Suze, is to two things. Describe the situation. What happened here? Why is there an issue at all? And what, is, what is, and, and explain it. And what's your position on it, if you don't mind? Again, this is about the Bowman's Beth 2021 rookies. Baseball. So once upon a time in baseball, long before there was an RC logo that was on cards, there was a widely well-accepted rule as to what a rookie card was. And that was a card... Uh, that's inserted into a base set that's numbered along with the base set, so like one to a hundred that includes, you know, veterans in the set and essentially into a product that is also widely available. Like I can buy it at hobby shops and Target or whatever. Um, that that first card was a player's rookie card. Since. 2000 something I always get the years wrong I'm always shocked when I get a year right since like 2006 or whenever when the RC logo started tops would make you know make Bowman but all those prospects were never part of the base set they were part of an insert set that resembled the base set but they were all numbered differently on the back so like in in the base set in Bowman you would have one to a hundred and in the Bowman prospect cards they would be like BP-1, Bowman Prospects-1, one through 100. So this way, they're inserts. They're not part of the base set. <clears throat> 2021 Bowman's Best comes out, and you have a slew of prospects that are included in the base card set. They are numbered within the 1 to 100, it would be. So you had Wander Franco and Jason Dominguez and... I don't know, Bobby Wood Jr. I don't know. There was a lot of them. And therefore, all the people who have grown up with this rule, including Beckett, who have used this rule, said this Wander Franco and others and friends are rookie cards because they were included in this base card set along with the veterans and other rookies. Um, and that's it. And But, you know, there are people who, you know, are like, well, it doesn't have an RC logo on it. It's not a rookie. And completely going against precedent that has been sent as to what is a rookie card in baseball. And I say in baseball because baseball is very different because in the other sports, you don't have as many prospects because essentially you go from the draft to the pro team. Um so that is where now the controversy comes in because is 2021 Bowman's best essentially Wander Franco's rookie card or is it 2022 tops that has the RC logo on it? The only differences between the two cards because they're both in the base set included with other veterans is an RC logo. But he, up to this point, he had never been included in a base set. He was only in the inserts in Bowman and Bowman product. So that is where the controversy arises. And what is the, ha, has the hobby sort of made a collective decision yet as to are these things RCs or not? And where, where do you, what do you think the right direction is for this? I mean, Beckett is going to list them. They're not, you know, they're not the end all to be all of like whatever, but Beckett is going to list them as rookie cards. They do. They have the RC logo next to them in the Beckett database. Um, I think you have people split in the hobby. 
you have people who are like, nope, this is his rookie card. These are the rookie cards. 2021 Bowman's best. These are the rookie cards. And then you have plenty of people who are like, nope, it's not. It doesn't have an RC logo. It's not a, it's not a rookie card. But, you know, Tops has messed that up in the past before, so that really shouldn't matter. Um, personally, I'm of the mindset that the 2021 Bowman's best is his rookie card. Having said that, um, that doesn't mean it's going to be his most desirable card. Like, people are still going to chase 2022 tops because the RC logo is on there and they don't understand the rules, nor do they even care of the rules. So, you know, I think that's his rookie card based on, you know, every other rookie card rule that has been in baseball cards since the start of baseball cards. Um, and, but I don't think it's people are going to chase it once his 2022 cards start coming out with RC logo on. I don't think people are going to chase it. That the way they had been like the weeks right after it came out. Right. Interesting. You know, something that I, I just find to be changing in the hobby is that what is that the, the definition of rookie card needs to evolve, I believe, as the card companies become more and more, I'll use the word creative with, with their sets. And, you know, what, what was, what was, what was, what made up the definition of rookie card back when it sort of first debuted in Beckett magazine, let's say in 1980, whatever, uh, may no longer be able to accommodate everything that's going on with all the card companies. So, and I haven't even looked at that definition in a while. I don't really care anymore, but the hobby cares. And do you think like, is the, is the definition of rookie card, does it does it need a rework right now? Do you feel? Well, you know, it's also interesting because it wasn't just like Beckett recognizing it back in when you know the, in the contract in the MLBPA contract, like people showed screenshots of it and it said like prospects cannot be part of the base set. Like it, it was because this was a well established before Beckett before Beckett was even around. This was a well established rule, which is why Beckett went with this rule. Like first card in a you know you know, whatever in, um, in a base set with veterans that of a product that is widely available. Like there's a reason like they all, everybody followed this because it was the widely accepted rule since baseball cards came about. Um, I think that, you know, I just, I just think it's going to be people will collect his Bowman's best, which I also have, by the way, I did buy it. Um, and the people are going to collect his 2022 cards. I don't think there's any difference. I think that people are going to recognize as far as the hobby goes, like they're going to recognize both cards as being collectible and for their different reasons. And I actually, but here's the thing too. I actually don't have a problem with it either way. I personally, while I think it's his, his 2021 Bowman's best, this is rookie card. I don't really care either way. Like, people want to collect cards like collect what you want like do what you want with them like i actually just i think it's just interesting that's what i find about it it was so much easier back in the day to know what a rookie card was versus today because of just how complicated set structures have have become so uh, and then you throw in the added layers of, of prospects in bowman products and it just makes it, it it's another layer of complexity so um, interesting stuff. Thanks for, for sort of clarifying and explaining through that. I, I, I knew it was something that you could bring to the table and thought that we could uh, have that discussion. So thanks for that. Uh, let's go to some comments again. Uh, Bobby said this is with in regards to how what percentage of vintage packs are are uh, 
inauthentic. He says, I, be- I believe that 100% of the graded packs went through the greatest level of scrutiny that we have. That's a great answer, Bobby. I, I love that answer. And that's really the only answer that fits the question or the issue. So well done, Bobby. Very crafty, very crafty. <laughs> Round of applause for that one. Anthony George says, aside from the kid packs Panini makes, I think there's a huge and so very important to our future missing spot for stuff geared to kids specifically. If they don't get into it, this is all for not yeah i mean we you know there's there's some truth to that right uh these cards we are only the custodians of these cards and these items while we hold them where are they going when we're done with them they have to go somewhere so hopefully there's going to be people who want to own them decades down the road uh mike petty says i draw the line with surface creases that barely show fair i mean that's that's collect what you like right for sure T. Jones says, I wanted the half honus. That's that's beat up for sure. It is beat up for sure. We actually had it on the agenda to, to touch on tonight. So let's let's touch on it now. The half honus. I mean, I think it's awesome. I, I love it. What I, I think the bidding when we last looked was a three hundred thousand dollars, literally half a card, maybe fifty-five percent of a card. At least his face is there. But um, and I don't have an image handy to bring up. So if anyone doesn't know, it's a T206 Honus Wagner, like the card. In a PSA slab, it's the second ever card graded by PSA. The first one was the PSA 8 that has that was cut by Mastro and is the first card ever. But the second card ever, I think it says authentic on it or something like that. Genuine. Genuine. Yeah. Genuine. I mean, it's only it's it's only half, it's only half there, so it's half authentic. But what are your thoughts on this card, Sue's? Like, is that a card you'd like to own? I love it. I think it's absurd. Um, I think it's ridiculous in so many different ways, but I have, I absolutely love it. Like this is a genuine half a card. You know? <laughs> so it's like, I can't, I still can't, and I still can't afford it. You know, <laughs> like, um, I love it. I think it's great. It, it, it's an interesting case study in like, so if you're getting 55% of a card, should it be worth 55% of a price of the card in a similar condition or, or way less, probably way less, but uh it, it's really funny. Check that out if you haven't. It's literally half a card in a slab. It doesn't look terrible. It really doesn't look terrible. It might be the nicest half card I've ever seen. <laughs> haven't seen many half cards though, right? Let's be real. Okay, thanks for that hits and chicks. Chris Harris has a speculative insight. He says, start loading up on Scott Rowland, Andrew Jones, and Todd Helton cards. They're all getting into the Hall of Fame. There we go. And David French says, I'd like to hear a speculative conversation about the price curve and the glut of PSA backlog getting through Will prices go back up as the backlog finishes flooding the market? It's a really good question. And um, it's a question I don't even know if we're going to have time for. We're at the two-hour mark now, Suze. But uh, that's a really good question, David French. Do you have any thoughts on it, Suze? Um, no, I, I do find that very interesting. It's not something I've thought a lot about, um, not other than when you just brought it up. But I definitely think that's something um, super interesting because um, – you know, hopefully it gets back to a normal sort of um, cadence of like cards that are entering the market of graded cards. So if you have, uh, you know, this sort of regular um, intervals of like the type, the number of cards that are entering in the market, it should sort of even things out, I would imagine. But um, also, this is not my strong suit, admittedly. Yeah, no, I hear it, it's definitely a moment in time here where, you know, more cards than ever were submitted obviously the backlog was created the come the 
not the, the grading companies had to both PSA BGS had to actually like shut down the intake or raise prices so high to literally just stop them from coming in to a, to a large, large degree. I won't, I don't know exactly how many, but a, a large percentage. And, um, and it's going to be interesting to watch over the next several months. This isn't something, I don't think it's something that's going to just happen quickly. IE like what I mean by that is, I don't think that the effect of the backlog is just, we're going to notice it in its entirety in the, like in 2022, for example, I think it's going to take a while to make its way through the hobby over a couple of years and we'll see what happens after. And like Sue said, hopefully not, I'm sure the grading companies don't want it to go back to the old cadence, but hopefully it'll get down. It'll, it'll just, instead of PSA having to grade 30 to 40,000 cards a day, um, because that's a lot being pumped into the hobby every day. Hopefully, it'll it'll come down to a more to a level that is more uh, absorbable by the hobby. So it'll be interesting to watch, though, and uh, a good case study, I would I would think. Any comment? Any further comments, Suze? No, I I agree with that fully. Bent cardboard says RC logos are overrated, and I can definitely see a an argument for that. And wow, I'm just scrolling through. Com- I can't even read these all, everybody. Thank you so much. I'm not going to be able to get to any more, I don't think. Uh, we're There's so many in there, but thank you for for the all the chat tonight. Suze, I mean, listen, we got through pretty much everything that we had in the notes. We're at two hours. I think we're going to have to end this thing. Uh, I mean, you're, you're, you're like, well, we don't have to, Jaren. We can keep going. I can keep going. We, we could do, we should do like a telethon and just do like 24 hours of just like card chat one day. 24 we'll, hours. We'll, of, we'll hey. raise money for some kind of charity and just, we'll just keep going. Well, and now you know we're, we're doing that, right? You know that. Oh, now no, I didn't know. I didn't know that. No, no, we're, you and I, we're, we're oh, doing yeah, that. Let's do it. I'm in. Let's do it. Okay, that's that's gonna happen now. We're gonna do a 24. I gotta make okay. We're most likely gonna do a 24-hour live stream telethon talking about sports cards at some point in the future to raise money for something. We'll figure that all out, but that I mean pinky swear on that. Yep. And pinky swear. All right, <laughs> we'll we'll figure that out. That'll be that'll be a, that's a great initiative. I'm glad you just kind of whipped that off uh really quick there. Um, okay. Well, I'll read out a few more comments, guys. Get your final comments into the chat. Uh, I want to thank you, Suze, for coming on. I mean, it's been uh, maybe one of the fastest two-hour episodes I've ever done. Like, literally, this went by really fast for me. I hope you've enjoyed it. I know the chat's enjoyed it. Uh, I, I, I hope you guys have enjoyed it. But, um, yeah, any sort of final comments or anything you want to you wanna share with anybody? Yeah, so I'm going to show some cards. Oh, show so some cards. This Jeter card. This is 2014 Tops update. This was the first Jeter card that I ever got to pick the image for on a card. So it's my it's one of my favorite Jeter cards. Oh, no so doubt. And then you this hear is, that everybody she picked the photo for that card. And this is the clear variation. I don't know if you could tell. Like I see, you could see me throw it. Um, and this is what love in the hobby looks like. My husband bought this for me for like our Valentine's Day one year because he knew I picked this card. So that's what card collecting love looks like <laughs> <laughs> it looks like that jeter card i want to copy that jeter card now just because i've had you on the show that's really really cool okay here's a great question for you from ka he says which card do you do you want to make if you could go back and make it mike trout tops chrome chrome update rookie or tops brady 
Chrome mm. rookie. Mm, good I question. I, I think it means like remake it almost, right? If you go back and, and remake it, change the image sort of thing. Well, because like Mike, they didn't have those cards. That's what it is. Like they like they don't exist. So it's like because they you know Mike Trout came later in the season, so like he doesn't have a lot, a ton of rookie cards. Um, yeah, I would probably go with the Mike Trout tops Chrome. Um, but it have to be autographed. Like, can't just be like the base chrome. And so, I think a Mike Trout tops chrome auto superfractor would be absurd. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Thanks for the answer. Darren says, uh, "Thanks for great ep episode, Suze Jeremy. Two more hours. <laughs> I don't know about two more hours." Um, Anthony George says he'll watch the whole thing. Rich Barone will make the first donation. That's really nice of both of you guys. Skeppy says, thanks, Susan. Great show. Very nice. Pepino Man, great chat. Got my hobby fill for the day. Always happy to have you, Pepino Man. Along with everybody else, of course, but got to meet Pepino Man at the National. Mike Petty says, thanks, Suze. And of course, thanks to the best host for Baseball Card Talk. Hey, thank you, Mike Petty. You are welcome. Thank you, Chris C. Thank you, Anthony George. Thank you, Brian Basketballs. Alf Gadet says, Suze, what's your favorite New York Rangers cards? Um, I just bought a Chris Kreider Young Guns. Um, I just got it the other day, so it was exciting. Um, I have a couple of Henrik Lundqvist's autographs. Um, so, you know, watching his ceremony yesterday was a little teary-eyed. Yeah, I bet. I bet. That, that was the was it the the number retirement? Is that the number what retirement? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Mike Petty says, "No, that's a collector. Picks the pick and collects the card. Yeah, right. For sure. That's really cool. Really cool." Uh, Darren says, Hey, the rookie card mark is not overrated. I based my entire logo around it. That's fair, too. Chad Shipper, good to see you. Good to see you. Better late than never. Uh, card Killer, nice to see you, Card Killer. Card Killer has an amazing Oscar Robertson 61 Fleer card art card. I think it sold tonight. Was did it end tonight? This thing last I saw was at $2,650. Really, really cool. Congrats to you, Card Killer, and always happy to see you there. T dot favorite card show host. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. And I'm just going to the final comment. Jeremy Allen says guest for after hours. No guest for after hours, everybody. Um, I may do one nonetheless. May do one nonetheless uh, in a few minutes here, um, and maybe even just myself. There's a few things I could talk about and, and show and all that. Um, you're going to sleep. I mean, it's late where you are. are you going to sleep or are you staying up for a while? Um, I'll probably watch saturday live and then go to bed and chill out yeah all right all right i'm i'm, I'm, I'm like wired and i'm like fired up talking about cards so i need to, well, need to here, here's what here's what i'm gonna do we're gonna end this episode we're at two hours and ten minutes just about i'm gonna take about 10 minutes myself uh just to i forgot to bring a glass of water down with me tonight so i'm i'm i'm, I'm parched here you can grab a glass of water and uh, and come back live on an episode of After Hours and just hang out with the chat. And Suze, you're welcome to join if you'd like. It'll be, you know, it'll be more, just more chill, no agenda sort of thing. So if you want to join, let me know. Um, I'll send you a new link for that. And um, for everybody else, I will be back shortly with some After Hours. Yes, Daniel Busby, there is an After Hours show. I just decided right now. If not, get the Red Bull for another hour. No, we'll, we'll come back. We'll come back. Alf Gaudet, you busted. You busted me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Rich says New Yorkers don't sleep. It's true. It's very true. And there we go. Darren says, Sue's encore for after hours. So 
It's up to you. If you want to join, you're you're welcome to. We can hang out for another hour or so. I'll let you know. I might. It's like if once that break, like those ten minutes, I might be passed out. I like I'm like now I'm fired up, but like once I like stop, I'm like oh yeah, and then <laughs> that, that, no pressure, <laughs> no pressure at all. Okay, guys, we're gonna end this one now. Thanks everybody for joining Collectible Live tomorrow night, seven o'clock Eastern on the Collectible TV. YouTube channel. I will be having another show. Those shows are really shaping up. I'm really happy with how they're going. So check them out. Really interesting stuff. Thank you, Chris C. Greatly appreciate that. Rich says we should start the 24-hour show now. <laughs> no, Rich. We're going to have to kind of prepare for that one in advance. But again, thanks, everybody. Next Saturday on the show, Tim Getch, CEO of ComC and founder, will be back again to talk about what's going on over there. So everybody, thank you for joining. Suze, thank you so much. This was awesome. Stay right there for a second. And uh, this one is now over. See you guys all soon. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.